get myself a Lincoln Got me plotting, got me plotting, got me thinking, got me thinking How can I come up and get myself a Lincoln? I'm a Continental, Cotton, Continental I'm a Continental, Cotton, Continental I'm a Continental, Cotton, Continental I'm a Continental Hey, this is Tony Boss Bowling coming to you from the Lincoln Attic Podcast Hey, hey, it's Lincoln Attic Podcast, episode 12, and I'm Jason, the host, ODB, and this podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Devious Customs and Colorado Custom Wheels, also known as CC Cycle Wheels. You can follow Devious Customs on Instagram and Facebook, or visit DeviousCustoms with an S.com. Now, they make the best airbag kits on the market for your 60-era Lincoln Continentals. And, oh, by the way, Jeff and team, they do have a sale going on right now where you can save several hundred dollars. Go to DeviousCustoms.com. We've also recently shared that on our Instagram story. So if you're not on Instagram, you got to sign up. Even if you don't want to follow a lot of people, follow Devious Customs, follow Lincoln Addict, and then, of course, also follow CC Cycle Wheels. They're, uh, they go by CC Cycle Wheels for their motorcycle wheel division, and Colorado Custom Wheels. So you can go to coloradocustom.com. You can hit Michael and the team up for those custom billet wheels, including the best Lincoln replica wheels on the market, really what I say on the planet, rather. So so coloradocustom.com or follow them on Instagram, CC Cycle Wheels. Okay, during episode 11, I mentioned it would be a kind of a shorter period of time to get to episode 12 than it took when I published the last one, right? Because it almost seemed like it was a little bit too far extended break. Just a lot going on in life with, you know, the work stuff and just everything in general that uh, we all have juggling uh, in our day-to-day lives. So I have put out now episode 12 a little bit sooner than it took me to put out episode 11. But going forward, what I'm going to do is instead of announcing the guests, I'm going to just continue to put out episodes. I think you guys will appreciate it. Every two weeks, there'll be something, even if it's a shorter episode. And that's going to help us all because you guys want the content. I get a lot of great comments on this stuff. And uh, I certainly appreciate it. One of the hardest aspects of doing a podcast is really just aligning with who you want to have on. Now, the homie Tony Boss Bolin, my good friend, he lives not too far from me. But Trying to sync up with schedules and things like that just doesn't always happen, even if it's a weekday or a weekend. So uh, bottom line is uh, more content coming from this podcast and appreciate all those that have subscribed and or followed the podcast. Now on this episode, we have Nathan Wilson, and many of you will know Nathan's name, whether you're just an LCOC, kind of a LincolnForum.net user or you're on Facebook, there's several Lincoln groups, including the Suicide Slabs, which is probably growing to be one of the bigger ones. I think over 2,000 folks in that one. We've got a lot in our group, Lincoln Attic. There's a lot of good conversation going there. But you'll see Nathan Wilson's name pop up, and he's at a company over in the Orlando area. I call it the Greater Orlando Area, and that's Driving Dreams Restorations. 
If you're not following him on YouTube, go out there, check it out. Even if you're a purist and you're like, I don't know, he's got some really cool stuff. He's helped a lot of people. He's doing some some really good videos. And he would even tell you, a lot of them are just basic videos. I mean, he'll hit record on his camera, GoPro, smartphone, whatever he's using, and boom, he'll talk to you about what he's got going on right in front of him. So uh, really cool stuff. Nathan gave us a lot of his time. He's a super busy guy doing unbelievable restorations. So we'll touch base with him. He lives in Florida. And uh, it was just a, it was kind of an honor to sit down and talk with him. Now, uh, for the first segment here, we've got Lincoln Life updates. This is brought to you by our friends at Steel Rubber. You recently heard, if you've been following this podcast, you heard us, we synced up with Steel Rubber. You can go to steel, that's S-T-E-E-L-E, rubber.com. You can search for parts by year, make, model, and style. They produce the best weather stripping on the planet, especially for these 60-era Lincolns, and they continue to launch new products. So big thank you to the folks over at Steel for what they do. You can also request a free catalog that is tailored to your make and model vehicle. So if you haven't, go back a couple episodes, listen to that audio, and they will explain and sell you on why their products are far superior. So really, uh, this one, I just have kind of one update, to be honest, right? And I'll try to do a few of these each uh, you know, with the bi-weekly episodes. But autoblog.com, this was uh, an article back in December. Analyst warns uh, Lincoln shouldn't follow Ford out of the sedan market. And it says Lincoln looks to set to mimic Ford's ongoing shift away from sedans. The move makes sense on the surface. But analysts warn the luxury brand needs to keep some low-riding models in its portfolio. And it kind of goes on to talk about the company's current lineup includes two sedans, the MKZ and the Continental, plus five SUVs. The sedans aren't long uh, for this world, according to the Detroit Free Press. So, uh, again, it's an article by now. It's a little bit older, but uh, I kind of follow a lot of the Lincoln News, and I'll continue to provide you guys kind of updates. We've heard a couple things. We thought the Lincoln Continental was going to go away, and then I've seen things where they said no. From what I've read, I don't think the sales are that high. I mean, it's a high-end sedan, beautiful car. Of course, they got a little bit of the pop there with the suicide or coach doors, as they call them. Very cool, man. I've seen them on eBay. I've seen them on Facebook Marketplace. The interiors look amazing. I, there's no doubt they're awesome, amazing cars. Would love to own one at some point, but just not sure they'll be able to continue to maintain with you know the, the sales that they're seeing. It's almost reminiscent of the 60s. We love our 60 Lincoln Continentals, but they did not sell many of them. And I kind of talk about that with Nathan a little bit where we hit on the sales numbers. If you've ever bought anything from John Cashman, he'll often include uh, like a, a list, right? And it has the production numbers for the sedans, the coupes, and then the convertibles for those years. Uh, don't forget, you, you can go to Convertible Lincolns with an S, ConvertibleLincolns.com to find out more information about John Cashman and his services and the products that he's offering. So Again, pretty cool. He ships that out typically, and it will show you those production numbers by year. Okay, the next item that I have is Lincoln Broker. So I kind of refer to myself as the Lincoln Broker. Had great success in 2019. For about nine months, I started dabbling in trying to help folks sell their 60-era Lincoln Continentals. 
and sold a good amount, right? We moved some good cars to some really good people that wanted to enjoy maybe whether it be a sedan or a convertible. Uh, one of the sedans is going to get a full resto mod over, I think, in the Texas area. And some of the others, I think, will just be drived and enjoyed. But I currently right now, I'm helping to sell a 67 convertible that needs some work. It uh, it comes with a spare deck lid, which is pretty cool. It needs a little bit of work. There's really no major structural rust on the car. There is a little bit of what I refer to as Swiss cheese in the floor section of the uh, convertible area, right? So the trunk. So you'd have to do some repairs there. It needs a paint job. It needs interior. You know, the seats could possibly be cleaned up. It's, uh, of course, has the leather seats in it, uh, non-buckets. And it's a pretty good uh, car. The owner is willing to negotiate. Again, it's a project. You know, it's going to be something that if you're a paint and body guy, you could probably get in there, you'd, you'd paint it, you, or you'd do the body work, you'd paint it, you'd get the interior. I mean, you could bring this car back easy. But again, it's going to need some love. And if I didn't have the two Lincolns that I have right now, I would buy it. No problem. So that's uh, available. You can hit me up. LincolnContinentalBroker at gmail.com is my email address. Okay, also a 66, which is top notch. It's what I've referred to as a turnkey car. It's the car that I posted several times on Facebook and Instagram. Kind of a, I think it's referred to as Sage Gold. I've got a lot of documentation, a lot of information about the car. If you want more information, let me know. This is a car that you literally buy. You turn the key, you put the top down, you drive it, you enjoy it. And it's a local lady. Her name's Amy. And uh, she just has had her fun with the car. It has had a restoration. And you're going to get a fully restored car. Windows work, vent windows work. Uh, everything works on the car. So uh, that's the great thing about it. So hit me up. Let me know. You can send me a direct message on uh, Lincoln Addict Instagram or the Lincoln Continental Sales. So that's the new account that I had set up. That's going to be specific for sales of cars. So uh, there'll be a small fee if someone's looking to advertise their car there as I continue to grow that social media platform. And then also, I'll be looking to sell some parts there as well. So be on the lookout. I haven't set up a Facebook page yet to batch those over to. Uh, I thought about maybe batching those over to the Lincoln Attic page, but I want to make sure that I don't mix them too much. So for right now, Lincoln Continental Sales is on Instagram only. And then, of course, I do sometimes cross-promote those over to the Lincoln Addict uh, Instagram and Facebook page, right? So that those that are just on Facebook, they won't miss out. All right. Uh, next up, you guys know I like talking about Lincolns in the movies. And I don't remember in the past year or so when I started this podcast if I've covered this one. I want to say that I have, but I looked in my meticulous notes in my uh, you know computer program, and I wasn't able to find it. So... If I did, I apologize, but I've got more detail about it, and I think it's definitely worthy, even if this is the second time I've covered it, it's a good one. So Goldfinger, the 007 James Bond movie, this has what they refer to as a car trailing scene. It's about four minutes, and the good news is it's on YouTube. You can go check it out. Now, I've posted about this in the past. I've even pulled down some of the video, and I posted that as well. What you basically have is, if you're listening to this on day one, which is January 31st of 2020, basically 66 years ago, you had the, th this scene was filmed. And it was actually filmed, if you watch the making of the movie, 
uh, someone chimes in during it, and it was shot January 20th through the 24th of 1964. And the cool thing about it is, if you're listening to this on day one, January 31st of 2020, when I'm going to publish this, this car scene was filmed 50, let me do the math real quick, 56 years ago uh, to the month. So if you watch the making of Goldfinger, you'll uh, hear that they shot this, believe it or not, between January 20th and January 24th of 1964. So they were right into the new year. And it kind of ties into the actual scene here in just a moment where we talk about the car. But the the scene involves what I call, or what I refer to as the the, uh, switcheroo of sorts. You have... A cringeworthy scene. So if you're a purist or you're someone that hates to see these Lincolns destroyed, do not watch this. Watch with your own kind of discretion. But literally, you have a brand new 1964. Who knows when it was manufactured, but man, it had to have been, you know, if it's January, it had to have, you know, recently been like a fresh 64, right? And it's in the beautiful darker blue color. This 64 is driven in the scene and... There's a switcheroo of sorts that when they get to the junkyard, it was um, switched to a 1963 sedan, okay? Now, for followers on our social media and of this podcast, this will make sense when we say Lincoln's onto downfall. So here are some facts based upon, well, some things that we've read, and the, a lot of these just really come from the comments on the YouTube uh, video or the clip of it. Now... There's a comment where it says the car was crushed in Miami, Florida. It was my grandfather's scrapyard on River Drive. Two different cars were used. The one he drove in with is not the one that got crushed. They used another one with the engine removed, and the scrapyard is still there. The engine was removed at the scrapyard because they don't crush cars with the engine still in it. That's why you don't see any fluids as the car was getting crushed. My grandfather passed away in the late 70s and had pictures of them filming it on his office wall. Pretty freaking awesome. There's also a, car, a comment that says, two cars were used in the driving scenes, a dark blue 64 and a dark gray 63. So interesting, a keen eye would have to notice this. He goes on to say the car that drove or drives into the yard was the dark blue 64. The car that was crushed was an engineless 63 that was quickly painted dark blue, including the door handles. So, um, more on that in a moment. Now, it, when you're watching the video at the 209 mark, that's when it pulls into its stopping spot. You see the front end clear as day. It's the 64. It has the 64, you know, the, uh, the wheel covers, right? The hubcaps, if you will. Now, two seconds later, you see the movie Trickery, where it pulls back the camera, and the driver's side door is open. Here, you see the different grill, although the lighting on the grill kind of obscures it in a kind of movie trickery way. This was probably, in my opinion, not even noticed by moviegoers unless maybe they work for Lincoln or Ford or someone like that at the time. Now, about 30 seconds later at the 242 mark, once the car is in the, quote, crusher, you will see, uh, you see the door handles. They're also painted blue. So, again, that was a nice catch by the commenter, Andy, because when I first watched it, I did not notice that. And then I kind of was like, okay, let me watch this again. And then I'm like, boom, you see the door handles were painted blue. So it makes sense that they probably just had maybe the gray car, which he mentioned, 
and they just shot it real quick. And uh, they said, you know, who cares? We're going to crush this thing, and it's, you know, the rest is history. Now, there's a guy that comments and says, you can't uh, put a crushed Lincoln in the back of a ranchero, which happens at the end of the scene. That is only, in my opinion, that's like one piece that's simply not real. So you got the switcheroo of the cars, and then, of course, you take this, I forget what they weighed, 5,000-some-odd pounds, and you crush it, it just wouldn't fit into the back of that car, in my opinion, that truck car. Now, there's a, a commenter that says, uh, this guy goes by 27th Avenue. You'll see it if you look at the comments. He says, most of the locations in the scene were filmed in and around my neighborhood in Miami, Opalaka, I think he says here. A lot has changed since 64. The KFC in the beginning is still there. The Royal Castle at 23 seconds closed down before I was born. And another KFC was erected in its place. And that KFC has been closed for well over 10 years. At 32 seconds, Joe's Drive-In Restaurant is now a Burger King. And the Sunoco is now a mobile. So pretty cool how when they used to film movies, they kind of do it in the open, so to speak. And for folks that live in that area, they can kind of point some of that out. Now, this guy Lawrence, he comments, the cube had to be made smaller as the original, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't think this could happen. He says, as the original crushed the Ford Ranchero that was used. Now, I'd have to see photos or, I mean, I don't know if he knows someone that was on the set, but he says, a guy had to run back to the dealer nearby to get another one while the cube was cut in half. Funny how Goldfinger made that model of Fort Knox and then killed everyone that saw it. He had the model built, so he had to show it to somebody. And yes, a 64 Lincoln that drives up, it's a 63 that goes into the crusher. So it seems like he has firsthand knowledge of it that, I mean, who would think you could crush a Lincoln and stick it in a Ford Ranchero? I guess from what this guy's saying, they tried it or they did it, and that crushed the Ford Ranchero, destroyed it. Who knows? Again, I'd have to see photos. I'd love to see them, but pretty cool we're taking his account for it. Now, I've tried to pull down some of the video, and I'm going to try to make a post on this on Facebook and Instagram. The video uh, for the making of it, which is also available on YouTube, if you type in Goldfinger making of, you will hear, I forget at what point, I think it's around the 20, 19, 20-minute mark. Yeah, it looks like around 2042-ish. They talk about how there were three countries they used to film, and they started filming in Miami, and he mentions the dates, the 20th through the 24th of 64. So pretty cool. But that is in the classic movie, James Bond, Goldfinger. It's a cringeworthy scene. Uh, I'm surprised at how many people haven't seen it. I think when I posted it, people were just like, oh my God, I can't believe they did that. And in the video, if you watch all the way through, and again, I'm going to try to post this, I think it gets up to the 2026 mark. There's a guy that's saying, dude, when we did that back in the day, people could not believe it. I mean, it was like, why would you do that? So they kind of did it for, I guess, the shock and awe of it. I don't know, but that's the feeling that I got from it. But that is Lincoln's in the movies, and you guys know I love kind of pointing those out, and I'll try to make a cool post here very soon uh, tying into this podcast. But just think, 56 years ago, that scene was filmed down there in Florida in Miami, South Florida. Okay, the last update that I really have for you guys before I roll into some audio with Nathan Wilson is Project Smugglers Blues. That's my, speaking of uh, Blue Lincolns, Blue Lincolns on the rise. My 64 Lincoln Continental, 
So what has happened since episode 11? I mean, I was going full steam ahead on this. I was posting all kinds of updates in the LincolnForum.net. Man, I was super stoked, working, working, working on this car, and Lincoln Life hits. And what I mean by that is the year that the car was down, almost to the day that we pulled the motor out, you know, Tony and his family, they did a fantastic job over at their business. They rebuilt the motor. And we had some hiccups throughout it, nothing to do with them, just normal stuff, Lincoln Life. And the motor is running fantastic, okay? Uh, had Blair and Teresa, they helped basically break the motor in, kind of go through their checklist in their head of you know, double-checking you know, the top dead center, priming the oil uh, with the drill, doing this, doing that. We had some hiccups that, uh, that I had to work through with Tony on it, but everything Blair and Teresa did was fantastic. If you're looking for services, you can contact uh, Blitter Farmer. I've given his information down in the past, his email address. But you can reach out to me if you're looking to maybe uh, work and have a restoration done or ship in a car. Recently had a couple shipped in from, uh, you know, one from the local Tampa Bay area and then another from South Florida. And um, I think it was like Sarasota maybe. But, um, you know, Blair does a great job. So, again, they were involved with my build as well, kind of helping me get over the hump of getting this car back to running and driving. Now, when I took the car apart, the car ran and drove fine. And I kind of, you know, I look back and go, well, you know, did I really have to rebuild the, the motor? Man, did I really have to go and rebuild the transmission? You know, it's one of those things Nathan talks about. It. I mean, these cars are older, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do everything piece by piece. That way, once the stuff's back in, it's done, and I don't have to mess with it anymore. Well, the transmission, we've had to take it out. We took it out the original, the first time. When we took the car apart, we had to take it out a second time for another hiccup that we had. And I think I talked about that on the last podcast where there was one missing kind of small freeze plug type, you know, plugs, galley plugs, I forget what they call them, but on the back of the motor. And that was causing oil to leak when we were priming it. So we took the the transmission out. Didn't really take very long. You know, had to take it out. It's just frustrating because, man, it takes, you know, you're trying to link, hook up all the linkage and, you know, you get all that stuff set and you got to take it back out. Well, the, the second or third time I was driving the car, the transmission went out. Now, I'm not a transmission expert, but I could tell you I was going about 50, 55 miles an hour on the interstate, cruising, had the top up, was headed over to Blair's uh, lair, so to speak, and we were going to do a little bit of work on the car. Weather was starting to get shitty out. I was like, ah, I shouldn't have probably drove it today, but whatever. You know, you, you got to get out and drive these cars. Motor was, was purring. Everything's good. And then there's some nasty noises coming from the transmission. Now, I had had a hiccup with the transmission where it wasn't wanting to kind of go. And um, after I started the car, tried to put it into drive and just driving, the transmission thought maybe it was like a sticking valve. And they said that that sometimes will happen when they rebuild these older Ford transmissions. But uh, Ford Lincoln transmissions, if you will. Essentially, they had kind of an idea, you know, to get the car going and kind of shift through the gears. And that did seem to fix you know, or at least remedy what I was dealing with there, drove it a couple times around the neighborhood and it was fine. It was like, okay, great. This is awesome. Well, the second major time that I went to drive the car, uh, basically from here where I live in Lutz over to Clearwater, I got about not even halfway there, stopped and got fuel, got back on the interstate, was cruising, life is great. And then boom, transmission issue. So the moral of the story is even when you spend the money to get things done and do things right, you still are going to run into hiccups or unforeseeable uh, challenges. And 
I waited because that day I wasn't able to get back to my truck to get my trailer. My buddy wasn't around. Tony wasn't around. He was out doing some stuff. Like he was further away than I had anticipated. So I literally had to wait for AAA. And uh, I basically called and, you know, it was one of those things. I will be there in an hour. Hour turns into two hours. It's kind of sprinkling. And I literally just was like, fuck it. Screw it. You know, I literally was like, you know what? I'm just going to sit back. You know, it's it's hard, you know, it's hard not to smile, but I was like, you know what? I'm just going to sit back in the car, play on my phone, had the top up, luckily, you know, and uh, it's kind of rain, real light rain. I'll post some photos from that day. And, uh, man, I just kind of took it in and said, you know what? If I didn't have a Lincoln, I'd be hoping that I did. And now I've got one, so I can't be sour that it didn't go my way. It's like, big deal, you know? Stuff happens. And I didn't rebuild the trans, you know? They're going to fully warranty that out. Now, the one hiccup that I've had is basically I've had to wait until they can get it in because I kind of was like, you know what? Now it's no longer in Tony's shop. Um, you know, I don't really have the resources, you know, at my house, maybe like I do up there to jack the car up a little bit higher than I need to or, you know, normally with a bigger jack stands, you know, you got the transmission jack and all that stuff. But I kind of said, you know what? I tend to do everything myself as much as I can with my friend's help. But at some point, I just got to go, you know what? Take this car to the transmission shop. They'll put it on their lift. They take transmissions out all the time. They'll take it out probably within 30 minutes. They'll get it down. Hopefully, they'll figure out what it is. You know, maybe it's going to require some hard parts. Maybe not. Don't know. And then get it back in. Go pick it up. Drive it home. And be on with, you know, the Smuggler's Blues. So that's the way it sometimes goes. And um, I would just tell you. Uh, if you are frustrated with your car or whatever, all you can do is just keep on keeping on. It could be worse. I mean, hell, we just saw, you know, we lost the legend Kobe Bryant in a helicopter accident. You know, I'm not going to sit back and cry over spilled milk with my Lincoln uh, breaking down when, you know, I could have something worse going on in my life. So that's the way I try to look at things. And I'll get this car going real soon, and then I'll be back on track with working on it more. But I'm kind of taking a break from it. I mean, I put a lot of time, a lot of money in it for like 12 straight months. So I'm like, you know what? Take a breather, get the trans fixed, get back on it. So that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, I would tell you, don't forget to check out uh, Lincoln Addict on YouTube. I'm going to try to do more videos this year. I've been buying more equipment to do more videos. And uh, really the editing, as you'll hear from Nathan Wilson, that's kind of like the bottleneck, I think, for a lot of people. You know, it's easy to go out there and record videos. Then you got to stitch them together. You got to have space. You got to have hard drives. You got to have a good working computer. You got to have all that stuff, and it takes time at the end of the day, and that's what most of us don't have. So, uh, with that being said, it looks like uh, this podcast, I may, I don't know if I'm going to bust it into two. Uh, our audio is about an hour and a half with Nathan. And I know some of you guys might be going, wow, that's a long time. But many of you guys, if you're driving or if you're in your garage this weekend or whatever you're doing, you're going to let it play and you're going to listen to it. So, I hope that you enjoy it. If we break it into two, then you'll hear me at the very end. I just want to kind of see what the final time is. But it is a lot of good stuff from Nathan. He gives a lot of good nuggets, so to speak, in terms of things that you want to know or things to consider with these cars. Again, I would ask that you follow Devious Customs on Facebook and Instagram and uh, visit their website, deviouscustoms.com. When you order from Jeff and the team, let them know that Lincoln Attic Podcast sent you. Also, you can go to DeviousCustoms.com, which is their main website. Now, CC Cycle Wheels, as I mentioned at the top, is also known as Colorado Custom Wheels. 
You can visit their brand new website, which is Colorado Custom with no S. That's coloradocustom.com. You can email them. You can also follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Michael and team makes it very easy to work with them. So best Lincoln replica wheels in the galaxy. I put money on it. So with that being said, enjoy Super Bowl Sunday weekend. May the best team win. And we'll hit you back in a couple weeks with a new Lincoln Attic Podcast episode 13. ODB, have a great weekend. Hey, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, we have our title guest, and uh, it's awesome, Nathan, to have you on from Driving Dreams Restorations. How you doing, my friend? Uh, doing excellent, man. How you doing? How's everything going over there? Everything's good so far in 2020. Sounds like you're off to a busy start, man. Really looking forward to kind of sitting down with you. Yeah, man. Yeah, 2020 is going to be a big year, lots of changes. You know, you always say that at the beginning of the year. It seems like it's everything's just always hectic, man. Well, that's a good thing. Oh, yeah. I know. I can't wait to hear these uh, Driving Dreams Restoration New Year's resolutions. I know you probably got some going on in your head, but I wanted to kind of start off with many of the Lincoln enthusiasts know your name from either some of the forums, if you will. There's obviously a lot of Facebook groups, but why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Who is Nathan Wilson? Oh, boy. That's, that's <laughs> tough because I, I don't really... Uh, you know, I don't talk about myself much. And as you, you probably see in the videos, when I do make the videos, I very rarely show my face, you know, because uh-huh. I'm just not one of those guys. I'm a pretty humble guy, I guess, you know. Um, but uh, I, uh, you know, I joined the military right out of high school. I had some regular jobs. Um, I've always just always been a car guy, though, as long as I can remember, just obsessed with cars. And so that was always kind of in the background there. Um, I am married, I got a beautiful wife, uh, she runs the animal sanctuary. You guys have probably heard me mention in a couple of videos. Um, so, you know, we're just like laid back country people. She, uh, she makes like homemade soaps and lotions and jewelry and she goes to farmer's markets and sells them to raise money for the animal sanctuary. And then I have my little shop back here and I help her with that stuff. So like, we literally are like, just, you know, just country people at heart um just really laid back you know um you know we're not don't have millions of dollars we don't have fancy things we don't want fancy things you know um and i don't know that that's just us man just laid back just living the dream it it almost sounds like it could be just a good american classic song you know about you guys and your fellow floridians uh, of you know we're floridians here uh tony also lives here and he wanted to kind of be on with the interview but these are kind of the hard things of podcasting really is syncing up, but have you always lived in Florida? Yeah, pretty much. Like I said, in the military, I moved around a little bit and stuff, but um, I came right back here. I was actually born in Sanford, Florida, and uh, I live right now right outside of there, kind of, you know, central Florida area. And uh, I own some property in Sanford that we're getting ready to probably uh, move out to and expand and stuff. So yeah, pretty much uh, my whole life right here in central Florida, man. I love it. I've, 
wouldn't move anywhere else. I, I can't stand the cold weather, neither can my wife. And, you know, we see that stuff on TV and we see snow and, you know, we see friends of ours and I just can't. Even here, man, when it's, it's been like in the 50s, you know, in the 60s, it's blue sky <laughs> we're bundled up like Eskimos, man. Right. We can't take I know, right? I'm, I'm just like, it's hard to get motivated sometimes, you know, Saturday morning. I'm like, man, do I want to go out? It's a little chilly, you know? So, but uh, the Lincoln's yeah. Keep is busy. Now, you hinted there a little bit about cars. And from what I've seen, you've, and talked to you a couple times in person, you've dabbled in different cars throughout the years. But, man, you know, we're here, we're here to talk about Lincoln. So, how did you end up getting involved in these crazy cars, the 60 era Lincolns? Oh boy. Well, you know, they've, I think like everybody, man, they've just always been my favorite car. You know, I think so many people, these, these are just the epitome of, you know, classic cars. I, I love all old cars. I mean, I really do. We've, I had a small shop. Like I said, I, I was working regular jobs and stuff and I met my wife. We got married. We were fortunate enough to get to a point um, where I was, I, I felt okay with taking the risk of starting, you know, my own thing and, and starting a little, uh, a little classic car shop, you know, and, um, I did that and it was, it was pretty successful. And in the beginning I was doing just all kinds of, you know, classic cars, mostly sixties, uh, fifties and sixties, uh, Camaros and Mustangs and stuff like that. Um, and, but like I said, I always loved the Lincolns. It was always my favorite car and I was, had a chance to get one one time. And so I jumped on it and it was, uh, I, I never looked back, you know, I, I realized just how awesome they really are. And, you know, the, some of the struggles and the pros and the cons uh, all led to where I'm at now, where that was, that was the beginning and the end for me, man. I just slowly transitioned into only Lincolns and, and never looked back. And here I am. Well, congrats, man. And we're going to talk a lot about what you've been doing and trying to help others and those kind of ways that you're doing it. Um, so you had your small shop and you make this transition into, you know what? There's enough work out there. There's enough passion, maybe some clients here and there that want, you know, work done on these 60 era Lincolns. How quickly did you manifest into what we know today is your business of driving dreams restorations? Well, it was pretty quick. And, and, you know, you had mentioned the, uh, the YouTube videos and stuff that all kind of came from the same thing. When I got that Lincoln, uh, I guess the quick backstory, I, you know, I made the same mistake that, that so many others make where, I, you know, I love the cars like everybody, but I didn't really know a lot about them. And I had heard some of the bad reputation and stuff that you get or that they have, but I didn't realize. So I, I got a car. It was, it was relatively cheap. The guy had inherited it and he didn't really want it. And the ad was the same old typical stuff. Well, the top's not working. I'm sure it's just a relay or something. A couple of windows don't work. I'm sure it's something simple. Right, you know, it's just right. probably a sticky switch or something, you know? And so me being, you know, I'm thinking, well, I got a classic car restoration shop. I know what I'm doing. We've restored a bunch of cars, you know, and I've worked on all kinds of old 60s cars. I'm not scared of that. And so I went and got it thinking, you know, the same thing. Like, what could it, how bad could it be? A Mustang, mm -hmm. you know, there's a switch and there's a couple of cylinders and that's it. You know, there's a motor. Right. Like, that's it. It's like three components. So I get this. It was a 66 white convertible. And um, I just, I realized right away like oh my god i'm in over my head like what is happening here like this is not a mustang holy shit and so it was uh yeah it, i i realized and i guess this will tie into the youtube video stuff but it was like i i thought you know i'm okay i need help right i'm just gonna reach out and i'm gonna i'm gonna find some help and so i went online and 
started, I called around a few people and stuff and, and I thought I'm going to go on YouTube and see what kind of videos there are out there. And there was nothing, you know, and it was crazy to me because like we had, like we have this old 10 year old front loader washing machine and it broke one day and me being Mr. Fix it. I went out there and I was like, Oh, I'm going to fix this damn thing. And I started yes. taking it apart and mm-hmm. I hope same thing. I'm like, Oh shit. There's YouTube certified. And all this crazy shit. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, let me look on YouTube, right? And I go on there, and sure enough, there's this guy, and he's he's got the exact same washing machine. He had, like, three YouTube videos, so he wasn't, like, you know, in it for the money or anything like that. And he had just, he had already gone through that, and he pulled his hair out and trying to figure it out. And when he did, you know, he took the time to have his wife grab the camera, and he, he explained, and he's like, here's how you fix this. And I was able to fix that washing machine. So I was like, this is amazing, right? YouTube is like mm-hmm. the best thing ever. And then, so when I went on YouTube and I saw like nothing on, on Lincoln, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. You know, I was like, wait a second. So I can find videos on this 10 year old washing machine, but here are these beautiful cars that everybody loves. And, and I couldn't find hardly anything. So, um, then I, I, you know, there's a, I went on the forums and stuff and there's a handful of people and, and businesses that have been around forever that like know Lincoln's, you know, and everybody knows who they are and stuff. So I reached out to some of them and I got the same type of, you know, like closed mouth, like, no, just got, I felt like at the time I was just getting shut down everywhere I turned. And I mean, one guy literally told me that's proprietary information. I can't share that with you or that's like taking food out of my mouth, you know? And I was just like blown away. It's like, what's going on here? There was no, I couldn't get any help. And at the time, it's not like I was running, you know, a Lincoln restoration shop. I was, I wanted to keep that car, you know? And so I'm just a guy working on my car and I'm looking for a little bit of help and a little bit of guidance and I couldn't find it anywhere. And so that kind of made, as far as the business standpoint, that's kind of what I realized you know, the, the little bit of business sense that I do have, mm-hmm. I realized, wait a minute, man, there's a big market here. You know, if you can, if I can learn these things, I'll, you know, there's, there's a lot of money to be made, you know, and there's, there's definitely a market because you see them all the time. And there's, there's, there's so many people that have them that, you know, yes. the, the difference between that same car, you know, beautiful car might have nice paint, nice body, all that type of stuff. The interior looks good, but the top doesn't work or a couple of windows don't work. And the, the the price difference between that same car with everything working was drastic. So right. I'm like, okay, new business. You know what I mean? It's Cha-ching, a bonus yeah. because I love the cars. It's my favorite car, you know, and I love working on them. And, you know, I always love a challenge and the puzzle and everything that these things, you know, there's so many challenges to it. So I was excited, man. You know, I was like, oh, something new. Mm-hmm. I had gotten so, you know, used to working on the GTOs and the Camaros and stuff. And it was just kind of getting old. And so now I had this new challenge. And then, you know, obviously I saw where, you know, you can make some money at it too. So that's kind of how that started. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, you know, everyone here, we're talking to Nathan Wilson from Driving Dreams Restorations. And if you've seen his YouTube videos, this will kind of resonate with you in a second. I wanted to bring this up. But if you haven't, go out to YouTube and type in Driving Dreams Restorations and subscribe. Now, Nathan, I thought one cool analogy that you used, I love analogies, and sometimes they don't, always, they don't always click with people, but you were doing one where I think you were rebuilding the seat, uh, I think it's referred to as a transmission, you know, to move the seat forward and backwards in these cars, and you were talking about that same situation where someone mentioned, yeah, you know, you're kind of taking food out of my mouth, but I think you nailed it when you said, well, listen, 
my wife and I might like to bake. You know, we might like to bake a cake. It doesn't mean that if I bake a cake that I'm going in business to like put out every cake maker in my area. You know, typically you I kind of said and keep me honest that hey, if we want a cake, we might just go to Publix. Publix has fantastic cakes. But if I want to maybe enjoy some time with my wife and and do something fun, you know, you guys might bake a cake, but it doesn't mean that you're trying to, you know, put out all the cake bakers right in your area. So, I just thought that that kind of clicked for me because so often people are, they want to shield their knowledge and not share it and I think that's one change that we've seen over the past 20 years, especially with YouTube and I mean forums even before that, but you're seeing people that go, "Listen, if you want to do it, here's how you do it." But you and I both know 80, 90 plus percent of people aren't going to go out there and work on their LinkedIn in a certain way. They're just going to go, you know what? I want to pay someone to do it. So Yeah, definitely. And I, I remember that. I remember making it. And I kind of like that just came out on the fly. And then afterwards, a lot of people commented on that. And I guess it was a pretty good analogy. They're like, but do you like cakes? Remember, what kind of know, cakes do you like? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my God. Chocolate ganache from Publix. The best cake ever. And guess what? I'm never going to make that cake, dude. And right. like they, you know, that's what I was saying. It's like Betty Crocker puts that recipe right out there online and you can Google it and you can make it if you want to. But uh, how many people actually do that? But like right. I said, that experience is what I'm, you know, like the father and son out there, you know, wanting to restore a car and God forbid they end up with a Lincoln. Right. And they're like, holy crap, you know. And, but, you know, I want people to, to be successful and I want them to have that experience and I want it to be positive. So if I can... You know, I have, I, I see it a different way, you know, and when I made that video and like I had mentioned in that video, I, I made kind of the precursor video where I was showing how to take apart, you know, stuff. And then I mentioned in that video, Hey, my next video, I'm going to explain the whole thing, how to break this thing down from start to finish. And it's going to be a long, boring video, but if you want to do it, I'll walk you through it step by step. And so before I even put out the second part, I got a couple of different phone calls from, from two different people actually who said, Hey man, don't make that video. Do me a favor. Help me out. You know, like, cause I work on these and this isn't my bread and butter and you know, you're taking food out of my mouth type thing. And it was similar to those comments that I got in the beginning. And, <clears throat> you know, I tried to explain it to them, like, uh, you know, sorry, but I'm, I'm still going to make the video because, you know, I, I, I see it differently. I don't think that, you know, if I, if I tell people how to do this, those videos, like I said before, they're meant for the guy, the weekend warrior, the guy that owns the car that's out there. And, and you know, he just wants to get his fucking seat. Sorry, I shouldn't say no, that. No, no, <laughs> he no. Wants to get his, he just wants to get his damn seat working, you know? And 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 if a lot of times people, they like, they either won't do it and he'll just live with having a seat motor that doesn't work or because, it, you know, it can be so expensive to try to send that out to somebody and get it done and all that other stuff. And it's such a long, drawn-out process. Whereas, you know, part of the whole thing of owning a classic car and, and working on it yourself and, and fixing things yourself, that's part of the process. That's part of the doing in it, you know? And like I said, especially if it's like a father-son project or something like that. So I feel like if my videos help that guy, that's fantastic, you know? And, and that's not taking any money out of anybody's pocket, you know? The guy who is sending his car to a shop to be rebuilt and he's spending a hundred thousand dollars plus or whatever he, he doesn't it, he's not going to get out there like you said he's not going to get out there and tear that seat transmission apart he just doesn't have the time he might not have the tools you might have the resources and so there's still plenty of those customers out there and there's still plenty of work out there and, and i just disagree with that a hundred percent you know and i just feel like you know the youtube videos are 
you know, YouTube and social media and all that stuff is probably one of the worst things that's ever happened to humanity. But at the <laughs> same time, it's one of the best, man. You right, know, it, right. It's, you know, we grow so much. And to be honest, man, so much of what I know to this day has come from YouTube, you know, and you can literally like, so I've learned so many different aspects of this stuff and just having that, that source. And then you have these Facebook groups and stuff like we're all a part of, and you, you can combine all that information. And it's just crazy to me that people have a, a gift or, you know, some people have natural gifts that they're born with. And then others, you know, it's things that you've worked a long time to build this skill set and this knowledge base. It's crazy to me not to share that because, you know, okay, so I've worked hard and I've figured out ways to build these Lincolns. I've figured out some, some ways to do things, some tips and tricks. I share that with you. You may be, you know, a roofer and you take the time. You say, hey, that really helped me. Like the guy with the washing machine, man. To be honest, I could look back and I could track down that guy. And, you know, you guys could thank him for a big part of why I do what there I do go. because that, you know, that rubbed off on me. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to do that. And so somebody watches my video and then he puts out a video of, Hey, here's how you fix your leaky gutter. And sure enough, I have a leaky gutter and I need, you know what I mean? So we just yes. help each other and we all grow as one, you know? Well, here's the big difference to me. My, my dad gave an analogy to my son one time and he said, you know, some people work their entire life and study something for, you know, many decades and then they write a book and you can learn everything that someone took their entire life, sometimes multiple generations to learn, you just buy a five or 10 or $20 book and you get all that knowledge. And I think the big difference is now that a book typically was always, you know, words. And it's like, okay, you know, not everybody takes the time or has the time to sit down and read or read about a subject they like. But in what I've learned, especially doing podcasts, podcasts are huge. But on top of a book to the now audio podcast and then boom you got YouTube you've got audio you've got visual and it just works and that's why I think YouTube's been so successful that you know people really enjoy and for me I want to also say let's say I probably watched every one of your videos when I get the notification I've got the little bell icon selected right so I get notified and you know in the evenings I'll sit down on YouTube uh, through my Apple TV love the app and I'll watch your videos and I'm entertained like going, oh, wow, look, okay, man. Oh, that's how you take that out. But I'll be honest, I'm not good with a lot of small parts. I'm not a guy that's ever going to rebuild a carburetor or maybe take a, apart my seat transmission stuff, right? But it, it, to me, if nothing else, it's entertaining because I see the passion that you have for it. So, But I kind of wanted to move into talking about YouTube a little bit uh, more why don't you just give like a quick, you know, some of the some of the videos that you've posted that have been more of your, uh, I'll say, popular videos, and not like the, you know, we'll talk about the burnout one a little bit later because I love that video. But what are some of the videos that you posted from like a tech standpoint? Maybe taking out the steering columns and things like that that you've seen people gravitate towards more than others, or maybe more comments you've seen. Oh, well, I get the most comments on, you know, the finished product videos. It's kind of crazy. Like mm. the, uh, you know, my buddy James from um, Detroit Deviant, he, he actually, he is much more focused on, you know, doing the YouTube videos. He's a lot more organized with it and everything like that and better at it than I am. So he spends more time on his YouTube channel and promoting it and things like that. But we were talking one day and I'll never forget, he said, you know, I was making these videos and I was being really, you know, in depth and, and explaining how everything was happening. And he said, and then, you know, he realized at some point that 
he didn't have a DIY channel. He had an entertainment channel and most people were coming there for the entertainment aspect. And so it's difficult sometimes to, to kind of stick to the DIY aspect. If you're, if you're, I guess, trying to make money or, or trying to have a successful YouTube channel and stuff like that, like with me, I don't make any money at it. I don't, um, you know, I'm not doing this to try to get rich or anything like that. Right. Like I, I'm literally doing it because I love these cars and I have a passion for them and I'm just trying to share that knowledge. So, um, you know, sometimes the videos might be boring, but for the guy who is just looking to, you know, restore his seat or, or that whole steering column video, you know, um, that's exactly what they need at that point in time. And so that's what that's for. So, you know, that video probably has uh, 10,000 views or something. Whereas the one of the 65 Lincoln convertible and my wife driving it and all that, and it's do some cool music. That one's got like 300,000 views and it, I'm not, I'm not teaching anybody anything, you know? So, um, yeah, the view count, it's definitely not about view count or anything, but um, I think the ones, as far as the tech videos, uh, people, you know, I get a lot of views on the seat one and the steering column one. And, you know, cause those are the issues that, you know, are more common with mm -hmm. these cars. And some of that stuff is safety. You know, I, I, I always talk, one of the first things I tell people to do, man, change the master's owner, do a master, you know, check your rag joint, some of these safety issues, you know, the last thing you want is your car falling into reverse and somebody getting hurt. So, those tend to be the ones that people, I think, watch more as far as the tech videos. Yeah, definitely. And for me, what I've also kind of come to, I don't know, this is my own little take on YouTube, is people, we love to go out, like, you know, let's say somebody kind of likes Ferraris, and they're going to watch videos, and they might not ever own a Ferrari, but they love Ferraris, and they love watching those videos. And for me, it seems like there's a lot of people, you know, that are just at their house, and they are on their mobile device, and and you know, they feel like, oh man, that's, you know, we, how many times have we heard it? That's my dream car, right? So they kind of live vicariously through said channel and they're like, oh wow, right. that's cool. And you know, in the back of their mind, they're like, man, one day I want one of those cars. So I think that that's why people gravitate towards certain things. So uh, pretty cool stuff there. But I wanted to ask you like when driving dreams does a build restoration, right? Which is under, you know, your, uh, a company, so to speak, what do you do yourself in house? Because from my understanding, it's a lot if not all. <laughs> yeah, man. It's, uh, it's pretty much everything. It's kind of crazy. I, uh, I, I downsized when I started doing just the Lincolns and everything, I, you know, I had a little shop, had some guys with formula stuff. Um, I decided, you know, after I got married and everything and, uh, my wife started the animal sanctuary or officially got a five, one, two, three and all that stuff. There was a lot going on. So I decided to kind of downsize and, and, and scale things back a little bit. So I built a shop behind my house and for a couple of reasons, I basically ended up just doing everything myself um, just to kind of make things simpler. But also because I just, over the years, I had so much trouble finding people that would just do good work, you know? And, um, you know, my dad used to work for me and that was one of the most complicated parts because he was, you know, he's a great guy and everything. I don't want to say anything negative about him, but he was just old school, and, you know, we grew up poor, man. So we, you know, he, he's, he's a car guy too. ASC certified mechanic my whole life. He's always worked on cars and I learned a lot from him, man. But he was so set in the, you know, he was a shade tree mechanic and he was set in those ways. And so even when I was starting to take things to the next level and start to build some of these more high-end restorations, 
it was so difficult. I, you know, I would be like, dad, look, I'm paying for the parts. I'm paying you very well to do the thing. Just take your time and do it right. And he would still want to, Oh, well I could do it faster this way. Or we could save some money and do it this way. And I just got to the point where, and he wasn't the only one. I just started doing everything myself, man. And so now I'm at the point where the only thing that I don't do is stitching the seats. Um, and I, I actually, I bought the industrial sewing machine and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I practice and I, I spend some time here and there whenever I have it, you know, trying to teach myself and get better. And I'm able to do a pretty good job on the door panels and the dashes and things like that. But wow. I've recently, in the last couple of years, I've transitioned into these really high-end builds. They're all, the last few builds have all been six figures and they're, they're super nice, like show quality builds. And so I'm just not good enough yet on the seats and stuff so i still pay my guy to do the seats but everything else man um i blast the cars down and have them dipped um i do the body work the paint work the engine work uh the all the you know electronics obviously that's kind of you know what started it all so yeah every step of the way man and it's um it's crazy because when i first downsized i was a little worried that you know I was giving up a little bit of cloud or something like I'm, you know, people are going to look at me differently because now I'm just like this one man band and I'm working behind my house, got a shop on my house and all that stuff. And I was worried about that at first, mm-hmm. but it's funny that it, it turned out to be an asset really because these, these more high end builds, it's kind of a different clientele, but a lot of these guys, they really like the fact that I'm the only guy touching that car for pretty much, you know, my, my wife does help me. She comes out and she sandblasts and I've taught her a lot of the mm-hmm. stuff. She knows how to weld and plasma cut and all that stuff. And she'll sit there, you know, I'll have a big pile of parts and she'll sit at the sandblaster for hours and hours and hours and just blast it's everything. It's like therapeutic, you know? so right? With, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's great, man. I mean, she enjoys it. And a lot of people do, you know, I have, I have buddies that you know, live down the street that come by, Hey man, you got anything need sandblasting? Like, <laughs> yeah. People love that. But, yeah. It's like, <laughs> let's get a beer and sandblast but, some stuff. Yep. Yeah, definitely, man. And you know, I have I have some neighbors, some buddies, and my dad still comes by. You know, and buddies come by, and they help here and there, and they tinker with stuff, and everybody enjoys that. And you know, we have a good time. But for the most part, like especially when it's like body work and paint work and stuff like that, I'm just so anal about everything that you know, I just just get away and let me do it myself. You know, and yeah. So, yeah, for sure. And and I wanted to sneak this question in, like, okay, because you know, since you kind of brought up some of your clients, where does a client find nathan wilson driving dreams restorations are they do they find you through youtube are they you know because i'd imagine some of these guys right they're not big lincoln fans you know they got a car collection maybe or like man you know what i've always wanted to i had one of these on my bucket list you know i want to build one how are these guys finding your company Oh man, I'm really lucky, I guess, man, (laughs) because I don't, I'm so bad at the, you know, I don't have Instagram or Snapchat or any of that crazy (laughs) shit. And the only reason I, the only reason I even have a Facebook page is because eventually after years and years of being at car shows with the Lincolns and stuff, and people would come up to me like, Oh my gosh, are you on Facebook? Have you been on, you know, are you a member of the suicide slabs and stuff like that? Yep. And uh, some of these other Facebook groups, you know, and, um, so I literally started a Facebook page just for that, you know, and like I said, I mean, we're simple people. My wife and I were real laid back and, you know, we we're happily married. And one of the keys to that is avoiding as much outside influence as you can, you know, especially with the, you know, all the social media and stuff. We just try to avoid all that crap. And so, um, 
you know, so I, I started the Facebook page just for that. But uh, it's it's crazy to me. People, it's mainly word of mouth at this point. I do zero advertising. I don't, I do the videos and, and I guess that has really helped a lot. It was an unintentional side effect, I guess. It's helped a lot to kind of, you know, get my name out there a little bit. But uh, it's mostly word of mouth and, and it's crazy. Like I, I, I dealt with a guy in Dubai one time and he just, stupid money right and so he's like oh i'm gonna tell all my friends about you and everything and so that kind of spread a little bit and then it's just like you're it's mainly word of mouth man i don't i don't i don't know the answer like when people do call me it's not like i'm like hey how'd you hear about us you know right right (laughs) so i don't know i think it's just you know word of mouth and people they do see the videos i'm sure the videos help and you know i know the crazy thing is right like when i do post the videos it's not it's not, and you know, the intention is not to, hey, let me, you know, show my work or let me, you know, promote myself. It's, you know, to help the people. But in, as a side effect, like the last, one of the more recent videos that I did when I was saying, hey, here's some of the stuff that you want to look at when you're going to look at any classic car, really, but more specifically a Lincoln. Here are some of the issues that yes. they commonly have. And here are some things to look at. And yep. I realized that after I did that video, that was just, you know, that's a 65 that I'm working on and stuff. And I had so many comments and people reaching out to me right after that video. And they were like, Oh my God, I saw, you know, the underside of that car and like you eat off of it. And you know, you, you don't see that much. And that I realized that brought a lot of, a, you know, tension and potential business and stuff. So I guess it's kind of a side effect, like in the background, people say, Oh, like even the seat transmission thing, you know, people see that. I've had a lot of people call me and say, you know what? I saw that video where you were doing that, you know, seat transmission and I saw the time and the, you know, and as I'm doing it, I'm thinking about some of the processes that I use it. Mm-hmm. And it just comes natural to me to, you know, I say things like, you know, why would you cut the corner, man? Just freaking do it right. You know, just take the extra time, do it right. Don't skip any steps, you know, and, and do the shit right. And I'm always saying stuff like that as I'm yes. working. And I think people see that and they're like, oh, okay, that's, that's the guy. <laughs> you know, that's yeah, the guy yeah. That I when I have my money, right, I'm, I'm going to Nate. Exactly. And what I thought was... Well, what I think is interesting is I've got one of my best friends. I've I've known him since middle school. His name's Paul Lane, and he's helped me a lot. He's like he builds car stereos. He's in the Banshees. He has a '72 Mopar. And the one cool thing, one of the many cool things about Paul is he's got me over the years. Like I'll be doing something, or I'll go to a car show, and he's like, "Man, you should film more stuff." And I'm like, you know, a couple years ago, I'm like, "Yeah, I guess I, guess I should." Some people like what you have. You have this like cool process and you know company that you own and and for you it might just be like oh i'm working on lincoln's boring everyday stuff or whatever but for the masses they don't get to see this stuff every day so what my buddy paul does like if he's you know building a motor for his banshee you know he'll set up his gopro and he'll do some some you know time lapse and then he'll kind of do this and do that and it's like cool everyday stuff that most people would never record but he does and when he puts out a video it's really cool and it's got me to think about sometimes yeah. like, you know, if I'm putting a bike together or I'm messing with something or I did a couple on Instagram where we, you know, I had this 462 that I had gotten, you know, shipped down and, you know, got it for cheap. And I, I was, I think for the first time I was taking the oil pan off of it and I was like, oh man, okay, this would be cool to record. So, you know, some of those things, it's like people just get a kick out of it because they don't get a chance to do that stuff themselves, you know? So. Yeah, definitely. And I know that I need to... Uh, I need to spend a little bit more time on, on that type of stuff. And I do, the crazy thing is like, I have so many videos. Yeah. We talk about the YouTube video. I've got hundreds of them on these like drives and stuff. 
that I've already recorded a lot of the stuff. I mean, like so much of the process I've already recorded. I just haven't got to edit it and just put your little, yeah, yeah. post it and stuff like that. So yeah, that's definitely, you know, something that I do want to kind of focus a little bit more on moving forward in 2020. Yeah. If I was closer to you, I'd, I'd help you even more. I'd love to, but, um, kind of moving into talking about, this is something that I've seen you commented on before, but, and you've alluded to it a little bit, but when we look at like a purist view of a Lincoln versus maybe like a resto mod, do you prefer, I know the answer, but I'm asking, do you prefer a hundred percent stock car or something that has been more resto modded, uh, for your, you know, kind of what you're doing now? Well, yeah, like you said, we've, we've talked about it before. I, I think the short answer to that is I think these cars were perfect from the beginning and I love them. Everything about them. Um, all, you know, the perfect imperfections. I, I like all that stuff, man. And I, I, I prefer, like, if I had the choice that two cars were sitting in front of me and I could only have one Lincoln, um, I would probably take the all-original one um, just for the nostalgic purposes of it. Um, you know, the ride was so amazing, like, when it's done right. If yep. you restore it back to the original condition, there's nothing like it, it you know? And I, and I, But at the same time, I'm totally open to all that. Like, the last couple cars I built had air ride. The one I'm doing right now has air ride. The one in the... You in the video that was kind of again it was like an, an unintended side effect. I was talking about the uh, some of the upgrades that I did, and of course that car is the one I'm talking about it on. So everybody's seeing that car, I'm like, oh my god, you built that car? I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. By the way, yeah, I built that car, and it was it was a pretty amazing car. But that car was shaved door handles, 20 inch Manhattan rims, you know, full air ride system, all that. So a lot of really custom stuff, and I had a lot of fun building it, and it was a fantastic car you know I, w- I would own that car in a second so i'm not one of these like purist guys that scoffs at people who have you know big rims or air ride or anything like that i see the benefit and in the current car that i'm building is you're going to have it is i'm doing air ride right now and the next car which is going to be an insane, both of these cars are just totally insane um they're both like quarter million dollar cars it's crazy but they're both going to have air ride and the thing is like both of these guys um one is one is a little bit older. The other guy's like my age, and neither one of them care about laying out pinch weld or any of that shit. They they just they like the stance of the car. They want it to you know sit a little lower and stuff like that. And they're kind of on the fence about well, you know it, it's hard to nail down my that you know I want the car to be three inches off the ground versus I want it to be four inches off the ground. So kind of a simpler solution to that sure. is well let's just put a full air ride. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And now it's come a long way. Whereas like, if you'd asked me that question 10 years ago or even five years ago, it probably would have been a different answer. I said, you know what, just with that shit, it's a bunch of problems. It's a bunch of, you know, it's not, but lately, you know, recently it, it, it's come a long way. And these, you know, some of these kits with uh chopping block and, and BC fab and devious and some of these other ones. And, you know, they, they're really making some really quality stuff. So you can, you know, you get tubular control arms and a whole four-link kit and, and everything is, you know, they're improving their own designs and they're competing with each other and getting better and better. And so I think we're at a point now where you can put a really nice air ride setup on your car and it still rides pretty nicely. And, and you don't have a lot of the issues that you used to have. You yeah. know, when you, and also, you know, the, the management systems with airlift, AccuAir, they, 
they've come so far. You know, it used to be a bunch of switches and a bunch of solenoids and you're hitting all these different buttons and all this crazy shit. And every one of those solenoids had the potential to leak and fail and, you know, the fittings and all that crap. And now, like, I use the uh, I use the airlift uh, 3P most of the time and it's just one box, you know what I mean? And simple, you plug yep. one harness into it. It's pretty simple, and they've they've worked out a lot of the kinks. So and they have apps um, on their like, phone and over the air updates. I mean, amazing stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely yeah. So they've they've come a long way, and it's to the point now where I have no problems with the airline on the car. And you know, the last few that I've done were 100 percent like you know didn't leak, didn't have any issues. You know, you can do it, and you can do it right, and it can still be nice. You know. Oh yeah, and you know I know we've we've picked up some listeners from like the Lincoln Forum, for instance, right? I've been out there for many years, a little over ten, and the cool thing that I've kind of seen is a little bit of shift. You know, you're always going to have your 100 percent purist, and then you're going to have your sometimes on the fence. But a lot of the guys go, yeah, you know, it's your car, do what you want. And I first had airbag truck back in '98, so I've been associated with air suspension and things like that in the truck scene for about 22 years. And to your point, I've seen a lot of changes. I think one thing that's often overlooked, you know, when people go, why do you airbag these cars? And, you know, you're destroying them in this. When you, when airbags, like Brian Gendro back in the day, and we talk about this on our lifestyle podcast, when he first went and said, you know, what, I'm going to put an airbag on truck and that replaced an air shock so we can make the trucks lower. A lot of trucks to make them super, super low, you got to channel them, which it's often, you know, we call it body dropping and things like that. But right. when, you, when you look at these cars of the 60s and the 50s and stuff, these cars, when you airbag them, you know, to your point earlier, I mean, they're like laying pinch well. You know, they're, they're like super low. And then, of course, when you can lift it up. Now, granted, it, you know, if you were to do a comparison and be like, okay, we're driving here and my buddy's driving right next to us, this would be a good video. You know, he's in a bad car. I'm in a 100% restored all factory. You know, I would almost argue and probably say the ride is going to float better with 100% stock. But for you to be able to go to a car show and air it out and it has that stance that's on the ground and then lift it up and cruise away, it just there's there's no feeling like it. So I think that's the thing that yeah, people forget. Awesome. You know, these cars are low and you don't all you have to do is airbag them. You don't have to like cut the floors. I mean, you gotta do the tunnel, but you know, you don't have to get crazy like in the trucks where you're body dropping them. So. Yeah, I, I see that for sure. Yeah. So it's not like you're really mutilating the car and chopping it up and all that crazy stuff. And actually, to be fair, I mean, I, I, I did one air ride system where I didn't even cut the tunnel at all. And that car, it, it laid out about probably two inches off the ground. Yeah, and, the and back's a tad higher and that's it. it. Was, yep. Yeah, he and he was perfectly fine with that, you know. And so you don't you know you don't have to modify it at all. And so yeah, it's definitely, and it definitely has that cool factor, and it's, you know, they, they really steal the show, and, and they, I get it, I get all that, you know, I just do feel kind of, you know, I guess to the, to your point on that same question, a part of me feels like, for my personal cars and, and, and my personal taste, I, I do also feel like years from now, 5, 10, 15 years from now, the all original unmolested Lincolns are going to just skyrocket. They're just going to be more worth a fortune. Because yeah, because there's going to be so even many people le- less. Doing this. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There'll be less and that's of fine. them. And, you know, yeah, it's fine. And it, you know, like, and you say resto mod, like your previous question, you're like, well, do you like the original or the resto mod? Even, even not counting the air ride, if we're just talking about like drivetrains and things like that, you know, it's kind of the same thing. There's, it's, it's really, it all boils down to it's your car, do what you want to with it. You know what I mean? My opinion doesn't really matter, but 
I, I see a lot. I get that question so often. I spend so much time on the phone. I try to, I've gotten <laughs> yeah. to the point, like if you've called me recently, you get my message. My new message says, Hey, listen, I'm probably not going to answer the phone during shop hours and stuff. And I try to return calls at like 7 at, uh, PM and stuff like that because it's just crazy. But one of the calls, like one of the most common questions I get is, Hey man, uh, should I swap the drivetrain and everything? Should I swap motors? Because, you know, I heard of all the issues that, you know, these cars have and stuff like that. And I guess that's a, you know, an important question for, for this podcast and stuff too. Um, and I guess it's like, I'm a big fan of the original motors, even though they do have their flaws, right? The power steering pump on shaft driven and all that was just a bad design. Mm -hmm. And it, and it, and it does have a tennis tail and stuff like that. And, you know, they have their flaws, but at the same time, if you restore it correctly and do it right, it, can be a really reliable, you know, car and motor and all that stuff. And, you know, yeah, people say the parts are hard to find and stuff like that. But I think overall in the long run, you know, if you are like, if you're on the fence about it that much and you're just not sure what to do, the safe bet is probably to stay original. And then I think, you know, if you plan on owning the car for 20 years or whatever, in the end result, you're going to have a more valuable car. And I know a lot of people are going to argue with that. And I totally get it. Like the last three cars that I did were all drivetrain sorts you know, and you saw the burnout video. That was a 427 FE all bored out and all that stuff. And I'm a big fan of putting 460s in these cars, like a, a, a still the older 460 blocks and stuff, but more modern and all that. And I get it. I get the appeal of the, you know, the reliability factor. And then when you add in fuel injection and stuff, I see the benefits of that as well. So, you know, I'm open to all that stuff. And I'm like, I'm never going to be one of those guys that's like, oh, this is terrible. You should never do this. Um, but that, that kind of to, to tie into all that, I feel like one of the reasons I think I move more towards keeping it original is the, the, the value later on down the road. And, you know, you always hear that, oh, well, you know, I want a car that I can drive, you know, a lot. And I want a car that I can take a road trip on if I want to. And it's just crazy to me that people don't realize, you know, they built these cars from the factory to be cruisers. Like, people... Do you think people bought these cars in the 60s and didn't drive them? You know, they were driving them across country. They were driving them. They were daily drivers. People always say, I want a daily driver, and you can't do that with the original motor. And it just blows my mind, you know what I mean? So uh, just keep that in mind. Like, you, these cars were daily drivers, and they can easily be daily drivers with all the original stuff. But you have to do the work, and, and you know, it's 50, 60 years old at this point. So you're going to have to, you know, change some things or fix some things and, and improve some things, but it, it is it is possible to keep the original motor and, and have a reliable car. Sorry, I got off track. But. No, no, you're good. <laughs> yeah, and just a couple points I'll make there. One was when we went to the LCOC event two years ago this April, I met a guy there, really nice guy, and you know, being a collector of certain things, you know, people collect a lot of stuff, right? And I see, like, sometimes, like, let's say somebody's going to, you know, build, a, I kind of like the old 80s BMX bikes, you know, and they're going to build it screen accurate, and it's 100%, and it's this, and you put a lot of time into it and whatnot. With the Lincolns, and someone's reinforced to me, when they go to these LCOC events, the LCOC is okay if they don't have the single master cylinder reservoir, and they've upgraded to the dual, hopefully, right? But I've met some guys, and I met a guy there, and he's a super nice guy, and he has a beautiful car. It's like a 99.9% you know, show. It, it wins every show, every point. But like he has the single master cylinder on it, right? 
And he drives, I think he had driven to like almost every state in this car, going back to what you said. I mean, this is a current guy that drives his sedan everywhere throughout the United States, all these events. And he drove it from up north all the way to Florida. And to me, I look at certain things and go, listen, it's great. Like, totally understand, you know, it brings you back to your childhood. Maybe your parents or grandparents had one, and you want to have it 100% stock. Totally okay with that. But... That would be, you know, and I know we could joke about this. It's like, okay, we all know, and if you don't, if you buy one of these cars, you got to change the timing setup on it. The original timing setup breaks apart, and it will wreak havoc and blow your motor up, right? It can, and it has happened. But, you know, to me, someone, at least if you're a purist, you got to upgrade, you know, of course, you got to do the internals. You're never going to see it, but go ahead and do the timing chain do the dual master cylinder setup, you know, do new steering potentially, right? All that you kind of hinted, do the upgrade to the steering column. We talked about that when John Lyman was on, that's important. But I mean, there's certain things you just got to do because you can't go 100% stock and be like, I literally want it like the day it rolled off because that is kind of unsafe in my opinion. Yeah. And there are a lot of guys, I, I would agree with that. I, I know a lot of guys that, like you said, like that guy that would disagree and say, well, you're either all, all originally or not, you know, and there are a lot of guys that even don't want you to paint the car. So it's like, well, it's only original once. Yes. So I want the dents and the dings and I want the original paint, even if it looks like crap. And I, I, I understand that and everything, but you know, I think most people want, they want it to look good. So they don't care if it's been repainted. A lot of guys are fussy about, well, it's gotta be the original color and the original combo and interior and all that. I, I understand both sides of that. We could sure. talk forever about exactly. that. Exactly. Like, yep. You know, like it basically boils down to it's your car, do what you want to with it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Now, before I go to my next question, I got to sneak this one in, okay? Because this is a recent topic. $300,000 Lincoln. Do I not get you started on it? Or do you have a couple quick sentences for your feeling on the car that sold for 300000 and with fees came in at a final price of $330,000? Okay. I've seen the close up photos. I think you have as well. Any comment on that, Nathan? I think it's fantastic. It should have gone for five hundred thousand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I do, man. I think here's the thing, man. There's there's a lot to this and and, and I get these okay, so <laughs> yeah, you probably shouldn't get me proud of it, but here we go. Well it's uh I, you know, I had some buddies that were there and that took pictures of that car and they were taking pictures and you probably saw like the pictures of the bumper and how yes. it wasn't perfectly aligned and things like that. And they're like, oh my God, this is supposed to be a perfect Lincoln and the bumper doesn't line up. First of all, there's no such thing as a perfect, you know, car when it's old and restored and stuff like that. It's never going to be. Not only that, it wasn't perfect when it came out of the factory, right? So that was a really, really good high-end restoration and i give that guy all the props in the world and i think he totally deserves it all and you know he they paid him and i really the crazy thing is right i didn't know much about this guy because i don't i don't follow the lcoc much and all the purists and stuff like that i kind of stay in my own world and everything mm -hmm. well I, I you know of course after that i'm like let me read they, they're like oh this is this guy liam or whatever his name is right so i'm like well let me read up on this guy i don't know who he is so I go to the site and I read his bio and it was crazy. My wife was reading it. And she was like, holy shit. It's like, they're talking about you, right? The right. guy's like, he has a shop behind his house. It's a little small three bay garage. He works out of his house. He does everything himself. And you know, the, that's the beauty of it. The car never leaves his possession and this and that and all this. And it's just him and his wife. And I was like, holy crap. Like, 
he's, he's doing the exact same thing. So I give him all the props in the world. And I, I understand what it takes to make that. And, and it's, it is actually much more difficult for me. I've restored a bunch of them to like pretty much all original, like we were talking about. Mm -hmm. And it is more difficult to do that than it is to, uh, just let's just throw a, a coyote motor or a 460 in here and let's do air ride and all that other stuff. And so I can appreciate that and all the little weather stripping and all the little this and that. It's just, I get, like I said, I sealed a lot of phone calls, right? And one of the reasons I, I, I do kind of limit what I post online as far as like the actual cars, like I'll show the video, hey, here's, here's this, how I fix this. But people are always like, oh my God, show that car in the background. Like, holy shit, why aren't you showing that badass Lincoln? And part of that is like, I, I got to limit what's coming in. You know what I mean? Like I get so many phone calls anyway, right? Right. And so one of the things that I do, like when I first get a call and somebody's like, hey, I want you to restore Lincoln. I'm usually like, I don't even do that. I'm not interested. I, I'm so backed up, backed up for years. I can't do it, whatever, right? But I've gotten to the point now where I, I throw out some, some numbers and, and I kind of have a few qualifying questions in the beginning just to see who I'm talking to. And it's crazy, right? The difference, like the mentality, like a lot of people, a lot of people do understand, but a lot of people don't. And so immediately I know within the first two minutes of talking to somebody, if they understand what it takes to make a car like that, or if they don't, you know, so you get these guys that are like, well, Oh, like my, uh, there's a guy in my town. He paints, he paints cars for $3,000. You know, I don't even want to talk to you anymore. Right? <laughs> like, right, right. like there's, and they're all, oh, they look good. He, he does show quality black paint jobs, $3,000. No, he doesn't. And, and it's, and you know, again, it's one of those things that you could bicker about and argue about or whatever. Yeah, you just don't have the time for. and you don't want to waste the dude, the energy. You know what I mean? There's other things you could be doing. Well, yeah, well, as, as, far, as far as talking to these dudes, but I mean, just the, like, to your point about that particular car, and oh my gosh, isn't it crazy? Like, that guy got paid 200 and what was it? 237000 Yep. And like 500 To do the restoration, something. right? Yep. Yeah. And, and the last couple of cars that I've done, like I said, they've been six figure restorations. And the one I'm doing now is, is, over 150 and the next one's going to be over 200 and it sounds crazy right you're like oh my god this guy is doing two hundred thousand dollar restoration it's like what makes that lincoln worth you know two hundred thousand dollars or what makes you know your skill set worth that much or whatever and it's it's i try to explain it to people sometimes man it's like okay so yeah i even back in the day when i was just doing regular cars like i think there's a 67 firebird that i did a while back and i painted there i get a fifteen hundred dollar paint job on that car and when you look at it in the video you're like oh that car looks pretty good right the difference between that and a ten thousand dollar paint job is drastic right but the the thing that's kind of hard to explain to people is the difference between a ten thousand dollar paint job and like a 9.5 out of 10 paint job like really nice you'd have a hard time finding the flaws the difference between that and a show quality top notch paint job is drastic. It goes from ten thousand to twenty thousand, and it goes from you know like there's so many hours added to it just to get that last little bit. And sometimes I I allude to like drag racing, right? My buddy, my neighbor, actually, he's a he's an old school drag racer, and it's like you're you know the, the time differences are so close, and that the amount of money it takes you to take a nine second car to a eight point 
seven second car. Sometimes it's tens of thousands of dollars and so much work and time and effort to get that last little bit, man. So you're winning the race, you know what I mean? And I kind of use that as an analogy because that's how it is when it comes to the difference between this is a good looking car. This is a nice Lincoln. This is a really nice Lincoln. That thing looks really good. It look, you know, everything seems to be working. It's nice. And then there's that, wow, look at that. Holy shit. Everything is like just immaculate. And every single piece of weather stripping is where it's supposed to be. And it's correct. And all the trim is tight and all the bushings and just everything. The difference, man, to take it to that next level. And it's so slight, you know, and there's only, and I understand, you know, there's only a certain amount, you know, a certain group of people that even want that fine of a car and can afford that and stuff like that. Yeah, they have to make, they have to come to their determination. Do they want to go that far with it or just buy a nice car that they can just drive? You know what I mean? Right. And I understand both sides. And for the longest time, like I said, all those videos that you see in my, you know, on my videos on my channel where, you know, my wife's cruising around in the cars, and they're good-looking cars. And people look at those and be like, wow, man, that car looks fantastic. That car's perfect, you know, and I always laugh like, no, that car was far from perfect, you know. And I was selling those cars for 30 and 40 grand or whatever. And that's a that's a huge difference. And I understand that not everybody wants that and can afford that and stuff like that. But it's, it's hard sometimes to make people understand the difference between you know, a $50,000 Lincoln and a $150,000 Lincoln. And, and you, when you look at them side by side, even sometimes you don't notice right away, but then when you actually get inside it and you, you're close up and you're seeing all those little details, that's when you start realizing, wow, this is a, this is a nicer car. This is much nicer. This is, you know, much better. And so it's, so to your question, the original question, man, I, I, I a hundred percent understand why that car sold for $300,000. I understand why the guy paid 237 to get it restored to that level. And I think it was worth every penny. And I, I, I'm glad I'm happy for the guy. I'm happy for the seller, you know, and the guy who bought it, man, he got, here's the crazy thing, right? And I, I know I'm probably, this is going to be a three hour podcast, right? But I just, I'm passionate about these cars and I, I love talking about them and I've had a lot of experiences with them. And I've, I've had some people that have contacted me you know, about building them this crazy $300,000 car and stuff. And it's like, there are a lot of guys out there that want that and they just can't find it. So the guy that bought that and some people are like, Oh, that guy's crazy. He paid 330 grand after the fees for this car. But trust me, take it from me, man. There's not many out there. There's very few people that are capable or able or that are actually doing that level of restoration. And they're, they're hard to come by and there's few and far between. So if you're able to find one that's done like that, I can see definitely why the guy paid that much money because I've had people that have contacted me and said, you know, I looked forever. I don't mind. I've got 300. And I, I, I just want everything to be right. And I want everything to be top notch and I can't find it. Like yeah. they're not out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, I'll, you know, that's Nathan Wilson. You know, he, there you go. You heard his, his thoughts on it. And I don't, disagree you know i have my thoughts on on certain things of it but what what i would say is that i've learned a long time ago like you can't spend you know in your mind my dad used to have this analogy where he would talk about you know you a lot of a lot of us think about our own wallet when we think about buying something so for instance like apple they put out that fifty thousand dollar you know computer recently right and the screen is a separate five or six grand and people are like oh my god i would never buy that and whatever and i know like i would tell you i wouldn't 
But when I watch the reviews on it and I start seeing the use cases of people in companies and people that are doing video for Aerosmith and football organizations and you know their workflow is just like, dude, they got to get this stuff out overnighted, boom, boom, boom. They, you know, there's there's someone, there's a use case for it for someone to go, dude, we need ten of these fifty thousand dollar computers, right? The same right, thing goes right. for the Lincolns, and people don't realize. Like I look at it and go, man, I did see some imperfections. You know, I thought this could have been rechromed, and maybe it was, but it didn't look good, and this and that. But at the end of the day, there's people that make hundreds of millions of dollars, and to spend three hundred grand on a car, that's just like a write off, maybe for their organization or their company or whatever the hell they're going to do with it. So, you know, I I often think about that. Although I wouldn't have spent that or been able to, I could appreciate someone wanting to, and they got what they paid for. So um, I definitely see that. Now, you mentioned earlier, so I'm going to kind of skip over this question. You mentioned earlier, you've got a video out there. I recently did, I think the last podcast, I talked about buying tips for someone that's looking to buy a Lincoln Continental. Go out there, check out Nathan's video on his YouTube channel, and then you can listen to our last podcast where I kind of go through the Haggerty um you know, write up on their website. And I talk a little bit about some of the things you need to look for, but I kind of wanted to jump to what is the biggest mistake you've seen related to 60 era Lincolns from a, from an owner standpoint. Oh, that's an easy one, man. Letting the wrong people work on it. That is absolutely like the, the biggest mistake, the worst thing you can possibly do. It's the main thing I warn people against when people call me, and they want a car restored, and I say, hey, man, I can't do it. I don't have time. They're always like, well, who do you recommend? And honestly, at this point, I don't really have anybody because – but <laughs> I always tell people, look, before you do it, just make sure that person has worked on Lincolns before and they know them or that shop. You know, they know Lincolns. They've done it before. They have the experience. And, you know, I that's the main thing because the worst thing you have to do is let your buddy who knows a little bit about plastic cars get in there and start trying to figure out why the top don't work or let them do, you know, like my dad used to do, you know, growing up, like I said, not, nothing against him or anything, but it was more of a, let me make this work instead of, you know, let me fix it correctly and make it work the way that it was supposed to. And, you know, I've seen everything from people putting like a bank switch in there where there's a bunch of toggle switches and you, know, you hit the first one to make the deck go up. You hit the next one to make the flap go up and you, you know what I mean? And I'm like, Oh my God, that's so ghetto. Right. So, and once you do something like that and you cut into all those wires and people start splicing stuff and all this, it's just a disaster, man. And it makes it so much harder where eventually at some point you're going to have to pay the right guy to do it correctly. And you're going to end up paying much more trying to fix what these other people have messed up. So, I think that's my biggest advice and my best, you know, point of advice that I could give you would be just just don't let the wrong people work on it. Do your research and, and you know, you're you're probably gonna have to spend a little more money. Um and I think a lot of people know that when they get a Lincoln, they know that, you know, it's not like restoring a Mustang. They know it's gonna be a little more expensive and it's gonna take longer and stuff like that. So just understand what you're getting into and accept it, you know what I mean? And it's just uh it's going to cost a little more to find the right people and it might take a little longer and stuff, but you know, the worst thing you mm-hmm. can do is try to be cheap. When we have one of these Lincolns, man, you can't be cheap. You can't skimp on stuff, cut corners. You know, there's just too much to go wrong, man. So that's, that's the one piece of advice. Yeah. Good advice. Now here is kind of, you know, moving ahead in the questions, where do you see the 60 era Lincolns in the next 50 years? Like, dare I say electric motors? Because remember, for those that have seen the Justin Timberlake movie in time, 
they have a lot of these Lincolns in the future, right? At least in the movie. Where do you see them in the next 50 years, man? Oh, well, I think these cars will be around forever, man. And it, it's, you know, they are iconic. And sometimes I don't think we realize the bigger picture, right? So I went to the Turkey Rod Run uh, just a couple weeks ago or whatever with a buddy of mine. And that's one of the biggest car shows in the country. There was over 6,000 classic cars there. And there was two Lincolns, and I think they were both hardtops. No, one, there was one convertible and one hardtop. And it's like, think about that out of 6,000 cars. But not only just the rarity of the Lincoln, we were standing there looking and we, we had this conversation. He said something that kind of caught me a little bit. And he was like, this is it, man. This, these are the classic cars. Like the, from basically the 60s and back, there's a few in the 70s, like some of the Camaros and stuff were real popular and they're considered classic cars. But that's it, man. Like they're, Everything after that, you'll never see a 92 Toyota Camry, you know, 100 years from now or 50 years from now. Like, there's nothing classic about it. There's nothing appealing about it. They stopped, you know, they transitioned out of making these cool, artistic cars that had all this style and personality and stuff. And 95% of the cars, you know, made nowadays are... They're, they don't have any of that. They're, they don't have the style. It's all about aerodynamics and fuel efficiency and just, you know, and they're it's making things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not only do they not have the style, like we're a throwaway society now, you know? And so like, even in the, even in the seventies and eighties, they, they had already kind of transitioned and the car makers had started to understand the value of making parts that were intended to fail. So like, you know, you hear about the window motors and the, the little nylon yes. bushings that they put in there, knowing that they were only going to last for a certain amount of time and they were going to break and people were going to have to come back. And so we have that nowadays where you know, they not only does the car look like a 90s Camry looks like shit and nobody, you know, nobody <laughs> wants it. It has no style. It has no appeal. There's no reason to keep it around. Right. Not only that it's not going to make it like it won't last 50 or a hundred years. It's just, it was made shitty and it was in purposely intentionally made to, to fail and to break and to not last, you know? So there's no other, like, it's crazy. when you think about there's that small, you know, era of like basically really the thirties to the sixties where that classic cars, those are old classic cars and a hundred, 200, 300 years from now, whatever, if we're all still around, um, that's still going to be those cars, you know? So that's like kind of, when you really stop, step back and think about it that way, like my buddy had said, it kind of really threw me off. It was like, wow, you know, I never thought about it that way, but that's it. There are, like, you know, you'll have a, a, I don't know, maybe certain rare, you know, Bentleys that they make or something nowadays, you know, you know, a couple Lamborghinis or something people might keep around and they might still be around. But for the most part, man, like as far as classic cars go, that's it. So, and these Lincolns were very well made, you know, they were, they were like, when you see some of my videos, when I'm taking them apart, like, have you, if you've ever taken apart the clock on one of these Lincolns, like that will make you just sit back and say, holy shit, like this thing was built like a, like there's so much attention to detail and it was built to last like every single part from the clock to the gears in the seat, to the window motors, like everything was built with the highest grade materials and the attention to detail and the you know effort to it's like they built it to last forever and so oh, yeah 
it just nobody's making anything like that. So like I say, take apart one of those clocks and look at it and tell me it doesn't like blow your mind. You, you see all those gears and everything like, holy shit, this thing is like a great grandfather clock. From, <laughs> like It's insane. It's like a time machine or something, you know? And it, um, it's just, they don't make anything like that. Now everything's just plastic and cheap and made to fail. So the short answer to that question, again, my long witted short answer is they're going to be around, you know, forever. I think as long as humanity's around until we blow up the planet or whatever, they're going to be here and people are going to take care of them and maintain them. And, you know, it's one of the things that people say to me, right? That drives me nuts. Sometimes people come and visit my shop or buddies of mine or whatever they come and they see some of the stuff that I'm doing. And I consider these, you know, especially lately, the last several years, I've really transitioned into this really high-end, high-quality restoration. And so they see some of the stuff that I'm doing, and they're like, why are you, like, why are you wasting your time going to that level to restore that to that level? Like, for instance, you know, I made that video about the importance of the window sweeps or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've literally had people say, well, dude, you're wasting your time because these, this car is never going to be outside, right? This guy, he's paying, you know, $200,000 for this car. He's not going to be driving it out in the rain. It's not going to be a daily driver. Like, it's going to be so well cared for, which is true, you know, but you still want to do it to the best of your abilities. But what he, to his point, and to answer that, that ties into that question. Like, most of these cars, once they're restored nicely and all that stuff, they're going to be babied and they're going to be well taken care of as they were in the beginning, which is one of the reasons why they're still around, you know, like you had to be somebody to own one of these Lincolns. They, you could buy three Mustangs for the price of one of these Lincolns. So the people who had them, they took care of them. Yeah, they and, drove them know, on the they, weekends or like you said, there were some people that drove them, you know, across the continent and things like that, but they were well cared for back then. Yeah. And they, you know, the people who had them had big houses, big garages. So the car was in the garage. It wasn't sitting out in the leather, like maybe the Mustang might've been because it was a lot cheaper and, you know, more people could afford it. So there's a lot that goes into that, but they were, they were well built to begin with. They were well taken care of from the beginning, a lot of them. And then now that they're being restored and they're so popular and they're, and they're, and people are getting them back to that level, they're going to be so well taken care of from this point on. I don't see them ever, you know, really going away. And they'll always be one of the most desirable classic cars, you know, ever made like they are now. And it's only going to get, you know, more so, I think. So, yeah, I, I don't disagree and I don't have it in front of me, but there's the list that shows you the production numbers per year. And it was, of course, the sedans, the convertibles, and then for the short period, the coupes. And when you look at the numbers, they're very low. And I talked about earlier in the podcast, uh, you know, the epic James Bond Goldfinger episode or movie where they crushed the 63. Like if you think about, I and I sometimes will think about this, you look at the production numbers and some of the years they had like 3,500, you know, 3,300, whatever, let's say convertibles. Well, then you, you and I both know over the past 50 to 60 years, X amount of those are gone, right? They rusted out. They're just, they were parted out, whatever. So you know, depending on who you talk to, I, I've I've kind of wondered, man, are fifty percent of those original numbers even still around, right? And then somebody goes, man, I'd be willing to. It might have been Cashman, maybe said, you know, I, I'd be willing to say it was like eighty or ninety percent of them are gone or whatever, right? But then you look at it, and then if you do the math, you're like, man, the numbers are already kind of low. You know, let's say there's, I don't know, fifteen hundred convertibles left for sixty four, right? So the numbers are low, and it just blows my mind because it's like, okay, well. If all of them now stay around for the next fifty years, you know that's that's a small amount of cars. You know that's only a few per state, right? When you do the math, so 
to me, or to your point earlier, I do think that that's the key, that they're very rare. And you'll go to car shows like the Spring Turkey Run and things like that, and you literally won't see them, or you'll see one or two. I mean, they're kind of like, uh, they're the albinos, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're the unicorn. And it, it's been like that. I go every year to the, both the Turkey Rod ones, because it's right here in Daytona. It's like a half hour from me. And I, you know, sometimes I have colors there and sometimes I don't or whatever, but I always go. And every time, I mean, usually when I was bringing my cars, like I'd bring two sometimes at a time and I'd have the only two there. And and most regular car shows that you go to, no matter where you are, like a lot of you guys, I know there's like, there's a bunch of groups in California and a couple in Texas the where like guys get together purposely, yep. you know? Yeah. But if you're not like, you just go to a regular car show. 99% of the time, you're going to have the only Lincoln there. And a lot of times, you'll win, like, first prize and stuff right, just because right. they're like, holy shit, there's a Lincoln, you don't see those. And to your point, like, with the numbers, I would say much less than that, way less than 1,500. I'm thinking maybe two or 300 of each year. Isn't there's that only, crazy? You know, yeah, there's only roughly 3,000, and I agree with Cashman, 80% of them are probably gone between either being wrecked or rusted out or being parted out or whatever, so... And then you think how many of those are actually like on the road or restored to the point where they're drivable and stuff like that. It's crazy to me, man. And it seems like over the years, you know, I'm on my, what, 33rd, 34th restoration at this point, wow. right? So, and that's not like, not counting the parts cars and the, and the little ones or whatever. So I feel like I've had at least a hundred Lincoln, you know, in my hands. Mm-hmm all convertibles. I don't even mess with hard touch, right? So all convertibles. And I think about that and it seems like I've had a lot of them. I'm like, man, there's, you know, it doesn't seem like the numbers would be that low being that I've personally, you know, had so many of them in my hands and stuff, but I really do. I think it's just a couple hundred for each year. And that's insane. When you think about, like I said, a Toyota Camry where they made 10 million of them, you know, that year. And so that's why there's no, there's no value to it. So yeah, it'd be some, some crazy numbers. Yeah, it'd be interesting if I could get Haggerty on at some point to see, like, hey, I mean, you know, without giving out confidential information, like, how many do they have, like, that are showing insured? You know, like, they might have 75 that are insured. Like, mine is one. So, um, yeah, we'll have to kind of dig into that a little bit more. Um, so we'll kind of wind it down here. I know I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but a few more questions. Speaking of, I kind of hinted, joked about electric motors. You were on – well, I I watch a show called Martin Brothers – it's on Discovery and uh, Iron Resurrection, I think, is, is the name of the actual show, but very cool show. And there was an episode where they show. I was like, hold on, wait up, hold up, wait a minute. Paused it, went back, took some photos like I always do, and I posted them. And it was a cool black Lincoln, red interior, I think it was. And then I started doing some research and whatnot. And that was one they were going to do like an electric conversion on. And of course, they ended up, you know, doing a little. The, the guy had a crazy Mustang, and, and the Martin Brothers guy, his wife, got a chance to take a ride in and whatnot. But long story short, I forget if I went into the, the groups on Facebook or whatever, and then I found um, I kind of found you through that somehow because they had flown you out there. But um, how cool was it to be a part of that build that I think is still going on with the electric conversion, I should say? Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. And, yeah, they, they – like you said, like I purposely – try to fly under the radar for the most part and especially over the last several years um because uh, i mean uh, luckily i have more work than i can handle so i don't need to like advertisements like that so i try to that's why i never did the facebook thing and the instagram and all that and i i try to kind of stay under the radar but those guys had uh you know they they heard about me and they were having you know uh, 
some issues with the Lincoln. And so they flew me out there. It was a really great experience. All those guys are awesome. You know, they flew me out there. I was supposed to stay for two, two weeks. I ended up staying a whole month and they put me up in this like way nicer than I deserve hotel and all this crazy stuff. And it was, it was really awesome. It was a great experience. And that, that car is really cool. And what they're doing out there is really cool. Um, it's just, you know, they're, they're a relatively small shop, you know, kind of like me. And there's just a few guys there and they're all buddies and, um, that type of stuff. Like they're not building $50,000 cars. Like we were talking about earlier, like they're building really, really nice top notch cars every step of the way. And they're doing just about everything in house. So like even just the, you know, the brackets to hold the battery banks, like they're machining them on their CNC machine and they're designing them and creating them. So like they're building works of art out there. So it's not, fast a lot of people have asked me you know over the last you know year or two or whatever like hey whatever happened to that car how come it's not done yet stuff like that you know um and that th- those people a lot of times don't understand what it takes to make a car like that not only that you you know you're doing something that's never really been done before and so you know it is still in the process it kind of got pushed to the back burner a little bit um because they had some other projects that were technically ahead of it and things like that. But it is still, you know, in the works and it's going to be really badass and it's going to open the door for a lot of stuff. Um, and that, yeah, that was a, an insane experience, man. And, um, you know, I've done, I've done that quite a bit. I've been to several shops and, um, it's crazy. Like it goes back to what we were saying when you asked, what's the main thing, like the main takeaway from this entire podcast when somebody's listening to this, you know, when they're looking for information, um, would probably be what I said, man, don't let the wrong people work on it. And so even that even includes like really nice restoration shops. And this kind of ties into that because you mentioned how like, yeah, they flew me out there and whatever. And I've been to dozens of shops over the years where, you know, they've called me and sometimes I can help them over the phone, but sometimes, you know, they're like, dude, listen, we will pay you to come out here and help us just kind of get over this hump or come out here and talk to my guys and explain to them how all this works and maybe give them some, some tips and stuff like that. And these are like shops that are, you know, they do pretty nice restorations and they've been in business for a long time and they've done hundreds of Mustangs and Camaros and all that. And so a guy, a regular guy that's listening to this podcast that has a Lincoln and he, and he wants to get it done, you know, you might go to a shop like that and you see, you walk in, you see all these nice cars and you see some of the work they've done and they got a great reputation and you think, okay, I'm safe here. Right. And this is nothing against those shops or whatever, but it just goes to show you like those type of shops many times over the years have reached out to me and have needed, you know, my assessors and stuff like that. And the reason is it's just that they don't, they just don't know. It's just like I said in the beginning of this, when I got my first Lincoln and I thought, Oh yeah, I'm sure it's going to be simple. I've restored all these other cars. I can do this. And it, and it's not, it's just so much different and it's not it's like it's yeah. rocket science or anything like that. It's just, you know, if, if you're running a shop like that, you really don't have time to, to pay your guys to stop everything else and to figure this shit out and to learn them and everything like that, especially if it's probably going to be the only one you do, or maybe, you know what I mean? So they just money standpoint is like I said, I'm not trying to toot my own and make it sound like it's rocket science, but it just doesn't make sense for these bigger shops or whatever to pay their guys to figure that out. So it's like, you know what, we'll just call the guy, you know? And it's either like you call John Cashman. He's kind of, I think getting to the point where he's getting close to, you know, retiring and stuff like that. He's starting to, you know, dial back a little bit and stuff. 
Um, or, you know, you call me or you call maybe devious or something like that. There's, there's just even still nowadays, even with, you know, the more information. So there's still only a handful of people that really know these cars, you know, and, um, you know, like Cashman's a great guy and everything, but he's not restoring these cars. Like he's not a restoration shop. He's not doing that whole thing. And while he'll come out and he'll get your windows working and your top working and stuff like that, like, honestly, I don't know. Uh, I, I really don't know anybody else that's doing some of the stuff that, you know, that I'm doing here with all new wiring harnesses, all new relay boxes and things like that. And, you know, some of these modern things that I'm doing, like, like I live these cars, I eat, sleep and breathe these cars, man, you know? And so uh, that's why these, you know, sometimes these people will call me and it just makes sense to them. It's like, okay, so you've spent the last 10 years of your life, like learning these cars and, and, and you know, in front to back, like back mm-hmm. to hand or whatever. So we'll just pay you to come out and just, you know, help us with this or whatever. So um, that's kind of, you know, where that's at. And so that, like I said, leads back to that first thing, man, where you just ask them what's the biggest, you know, point of advice or the biggest mistake. And that's just make sure that you go, you know, somewhere that has actually done it before, just because they know cars, you know. And and the other thing is, you know, you get, and it's not intentional. I'm sorry I'm getting off track again, but I'm trying to help people the best that I can. I want people to have some good stuff to take away from the podcast and everything and i i really appreciate what you're doing and everything that you do with the podcast and everything and it's mm-hmm. some really invaluable information you've had some great guests on and i listen to some of the other podcasts and so i want to make sure this one is you know educational oh, yeah. and, and people actually take away some valuable information so now i'm getting sidetracked again but it's like you know when you one of the things i get sometimes people will call me and say hey how much would you like I, i'm calling around i'm trying to get somebody to rebuild my lincoln motor and you know i'm getting all these like different prices and stuff like what do you think i should be you know they should be charging me or whatever i understand that you don't have time to do it whatever like sometimes people ask me what do you charge stuff like that and it's like i always go back to that well have these people actually done a 430 metal motor before um, you know, make sure that's a really important thing. And it's not, it's not that it's like brain surgery or anything like I said, but it's, if they haven't, unfortunately, they may do the same thing that I did. I was guilty of it too, man. It was just, it's, it's a not knowing, it's an ignorant thing. Like I didn't know when I first got that link and what I was getting into. So a lot of times we shop, you know, every other motor, man, a Chevy 350 and 454s and the, and the later model 460 motors and stuff like that. They've done so many of them. Well, yeah, we rebuild motors. This is roughly what it costs, you know, and they give you a pretty rough estimate. And because they've done um, thousands of motors before, and then they get this 430 or this 462, and they're like, holy shit, they can't find the parts for it. They didn't realize, you know, how hard it was going to be to get the parts, or they don't know, like, this, the shaft-driven power steering pump, or, you know, all this, all, they start running into all these things. And it's like, the first time I rebuilt one, I re- I'll never forget, and it was a 430. I dropped the, the transmission pan to check everything out. I tossed that fucking transmission filter in the trash. And I'm thinking, you know, transmission filters are six one. bucks all day long. Yep. Yeah, you just go get a new one. It's $10 max, right? Turns out I ended up paying almost $400 for a brand new transmission filter for that 430 because you just can't get them. You know, they don't, brand new, they don't exist, you know? And there's people out there rebuilding. I mean, you're thinking, what? Like, it blows your mind. So, these 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 other companies sometimes or these engine builders or even restoration shops that have done restorations they don't know that yet so they quote you five thousand dollars to rebuild your motor or whatever it might be and then they get into it and they're when they made that quote they were assuming 
you know, $20 power steering or $20 water pump because most water pumps are 20 or 30 bucks. They didn't realize that you can't find the fucking thing. And now, luckily, Mark II Enterprises, who, you know, they're really putting out a lot of great products for us. I think they just recently started putting out water pumps. But before that, it was like, you know, you might have hundreds of dollars and, and yes. you know, your, your, your steering gear box, they're thinking, oh, just get a new steering gear box. Well, you, you could have five, six, seven hundred dollars in a steering gear box, you know, and most of these shops, they don't have time to wait to send it out to one of these guys that rebuilds them and, and get a core charge and all this other crap and wait for a month or two yep. or whatever. So they, they, it's not like they're purposely being dicks or anything. It's just as they, get they don't have the experience. It, they're like, yeah, they're like, dude, we don't have the time to put, I, like, I can't put one of my guys on this motor and waste all this time. Like I would end up having to charge you $20,000 to do this motor by the time I track down all the parts and, and all that. So, they end up calling the customer and saying, Hey man, listen, you got to come get your motor. Like we, you know, I just, we can't do, we can't afford to spend the man hours and stuff and, and, and doing this or figuring out some of the stuff that we're not used to and things like that. And then, and the customer ends up in this, you know, in this tight spot. And, and especially with full restorations, I get those calls. Unfortunately, so often, man, I get these calls at least once a week. I get a call from somebody saying, dude, my car has been at this restoration shop for two or three years. And, you know, the guy, they've done all these restorations, so I thought I could trust them, but it turns out, you know, it didn't work out. And now they're basically, I just had to go get my car for the guy. And like I said, sometimes it's just shitty people and they, you know, they knew what they were doing, but a lot of times they didn't intend to, you know, rip the customer off or have them have a bad experience. They just didn't realize what they were getting into. And then unfortunately, now the customer has a car that's half taken apart and the parts are all over the place. You don't know where the screws are and stuff. And then they're calling somebody like me and they're trying to find somebody to do that. And most guys, myself included, man, I mean, the last thing I want to do is go over top of somebody else's work. And then you're trying to figure out what they did or didn't do and trying to figure out where they put this part or this piece. And, you know, it's just a disaster. And so unfortunately, you know, I've seen lots and lots of people in that really bad position and so I'm just reiterating that point, man, just, you know, find the right people to begin with, you know, and sometimes people will say, I'm sure you've heard, you know, people bad mouth cash and like, Oh my God, he's crazy. You know, he's $500 an hour, man. And if, if he comes out to your house, man, it's going to cost you 10,000 bucks and whatever. And I always tell people, dude, you're in reality. When you really step back and think about it, if you're paying cashman $500 an hour, if you take your car to a regular shop that doesn't understand these Lincolns, they're going to take five, if they might be charging you a hundred dollars an hour, which is an average shop rate, but they're going to take five times as long to do it. So you're paying the same amount of money and you're, and you're not even getting the expert. You're not even getting the guy who lives and breathes these things. So you're not, you're not going to get the same quality work. So you're going to end up paying just about the same amount of money. Anyway, just pay the guy who knows what the hell he's doing, pay his premium because he's earned it because he knows these cars, you know what I mean? And in the long run, you're probably going to end up saving money. So that's my advice, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I like it. And I, I couldn't agree more. The The thing that I would say too, like when my situation is, you know, Tony and I did a lot of the stuff ourselves. And what we did was we took the block to a guy in Ybor city that the place has been open since the sixties, you know, the old guys, crotchety old guys, son's been working there for, I don't know, 30 some odd years, I think he said. And they, you know, it was like you drop the block off. They're like, yep, we have their proper stuff, the way the heads are. You know, I'm not a machinist. I don't know all that stuff. 
But dude, like I was amazed at how much they charged to just kind of bore and 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 do their stuff, the cross hatching, and then boom. Then you know, but but to your point, you know, if you're a guy that you don't have the resources or you live in the middle of the country, there's no one around that does that. You have to be very careful. And the thing that I would also add is that it's not that much money sometimes to ship a car, you know, to multiple states, you know. So work back with a vendor or someone that has the experience. Talk to the previous customers. Look at their reviews, if applicable, on their shop page for Google and stuff like that because it is important. But um, as we kind of wind it down here, I wanted to mention that I I think I recently saw you uh, commented something about a related convertible uh, product that you might be selling or bringing to market. And I think you have some things out there. If do you, um, why don't you just give us a quick overview? Is there are there parts that you're selling to replace things on these Lincolns as it relates to the convertibles? Well, <laughs> the short answer is no. Um, I've been for years, man. I've been making you know some some upgraded uh, product. Like I said, man, I don't I don't know too many people who are literally rewiring these things from the ground up. I get those calls all the time where people say, "Hey, I need a wiring harness from my '64." I'm like, "Well, good luck." nobody makes it right yep, yep. there are you know people who make small sections and stuff like that but again it's, it goes back to people just don't they don't realize they think oh well you can buy a painless wiring harness kit for your 67 mustang or whatever and it's already kind of laid out and you can buy that kit for that car they don't make that for a lincoln and you know part of the reason is there's 10 million wires in there you know yeah and they wouldn't sell enough so, of them they might sell one every five years even if they did you know what i mean yeah, exactly. So the thing, like, so for my own personal builds, you know, I over the years have come up with some improvements and some better ways of doing things. And, you know, I've, um, like, I did make that video about the relay box, and that was only because so many people over the years have heard about it just word of mouth and stuff, or they saw a car that I built that had one, and they're like, oh my God, I need that, right? And so I did the video just to kind of show what it's all about, and I am in the process of slowly making that happen. Um, the difficulty is, um, you know, like I work full time on these cars for storing them and stuff like that. So I, I try to focus my, my attention on that. And, um, but they're, you know, like I noticed, um, Pat was making those just recently. I think it was Pat that was putting out stuff about the auto drop thing. And that's great. Fantastic. I'm sure it's going to be awesome when he makes it, but it's like, I've been making those for years. I, I make a little box that's contained that's inside each door, the rear doors. And it's kind of similar to what he's talking about. I don't use the Arduino or anything. And probably he and I should probably get together. And that's what I need to do is I need to get together with other people who maybe have more time and resources to actually do those things and just share my designs that I've been doing and say, look, this is a great design. It's proven. It works. Um, and so the long story short, I am in the process of, we're actually moving. I don't even think I've told you this, but, um, we're, I've got some acreage in Sanford down the road and we're, we're going to move out there and expand. This is the year 2020. It's finally happening. You know, I've owned the property for a really long time. It's just a big thing to make that move. Um, so the big, you know, one of the reasons it's, it's nine acres and we're expanding the animal sanctuary. So it's going to be great for that. But the other added bonus is I'm building a, a 60 by 100 foot shop. So it's going to be incredibly awesome. So that's going to really kind of expand my abilities to do some extra things like that, you know? Um, and so part of that also is, you know, as I expand a little bit, I'm going to 
partner up. I got a couple of people, you know, that I've been working with and stuff. So one of the, one of my goals, the short answer to that is one of the, one of my goals for, as I make this expansion and as I, you know, move to the new shop and stuff like that, I am going to focus a little bit of time and I'm going to partner up with a guy that, that is more capable of actually like all the logistics of that. And I'm going to try to get some of these parts out to you guys. I've worked with Jimmy over at Detroit Deviant a little bit in the past. Um, to be honest with you, like it's not a money thing at all because there's so little of this, you know, it's such a small market that the difficulty, like you see Christian Paul, thank goodness he started, you know, big shout out to him. He started making the fiberglass, you know, deck lids and hoods. And I remember 10 years ago, that conversation going on and people saying, why isn't anybody doing this? Right. And like, he'll tell you, he's got, you know, there's $30,000 or so in the, uh, in the research and development stage of that, like making the molds and stuff. And then, like we were just saying, how many convertible Lincolns are out there? A couple hundred of each year. So where's your market? So at the end of the day, like James will tell you, I, I think you had him on one time from Detroit. Even, you know, he's done the same thing. He's actually he's put himself out there. and He's made a lot of cool, awesome aftermarket parts. And I've used a lot of them. They're all fantastic. He does a great job. But at the end of the day, it's like when he first put it out, you sell a big handful of them. And then after that, it's kind of crickets because there's only so many of these cars out there. So that's a difficult part, but I do want to get some of this stuff out because, you know, like my relay boxes, they're a hundred percent. They work every single time. They don't fail. It's all modern, you know, relays and electronics and stuff in there. And, um, I know that it, you know, a lot of people could benefit from that. So they will be coming. Um, it's just a matter of this whole expansion thing, you know? And, um, you know, to that point, like, I think I had told you one time about, um, the TV show, like you had mentioned yes. that, seeing the Iron Resurrection thing. It's like, you know, like I said in the beginning, my wife and me are humble people. We're laid back. We, I'm fortunate enough to understand the balance between, you know, like how to not become a victim of your own success, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So some, not everybody, it, it's difficult, man. It's difficult to turn down, you know, quarter million dollar jobs and say, well, you know, I'd love to do that, but I got to be realistic. Like, I don't necessarily like want to do that. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I need to keep myself in this, in this comfort zone. So, you know, we, we are expanding, but at the same time, I, I, I know from experience that I need to, I have to try to keep things to the level that we're comfortable with. You know, we're content with our little lives and we're happy and, you know, we work a certain amount and, and that's all fine and good. And, you know, I, I did the thing already where I had, guys working for me and I had to take care of them and payroll and all this other stuff. And it, and it gets crazy and it takes the fun and the passion out of it. And, and a lot of times, unfortunately, the, the quality of the work sacrifices. So, you know, I'm trying to stick with the whole uh, quality over quantity thing. And so I'm trying to balance that out, you know, um, as we move forward and, um, you know, not, not fall victim to any of that stuff that a lot of people, you know, run into. And I think I had told you back in the day about the whole TV show with A&E and all that stuff. Um, yes. I guess to anybody listening, like we had that opportunity because people are always, people think they know the right thing to do. And they're like, you need to expand. You've got to get, you know, hire some more guys and get a bigger shop and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, we've, we've kind of been down that road and we decided not to do it. And when we had the opportunity to do the TV show and all that stuff, um, I, I look back at that and, you know, sometimes you look back and you think, dude, cause this was like before gas monkey garage and all that shit, you know? And this was, it was, it was, I wasn't even doing Lincoln's and it was me and my dad and we were 
we were restoring classic cars and we were going all over and I, they thought that it was cool that it was me and my father and they thought it would make a cool TV show. And so they kind of approached us. We sat down, we had our meetings and, um, you know, at the end of the day, we decided not to do it because of just, just all the drama that comes along with that, you know? And, um, and it's the main yeah, thing. It's, like it's not, it's, it's fake, man. You know, all that shit's bullshit. And most people know you look at gas monkey garage and they restore a car in four days or whatever the hell it is. And most people that know anything about cars are like, yeah, that's bullshit. Like that did not happen. But right, um, right. And I, I didn't, I just felt like it wasn't genuine, you know, and I didn't want to get involved in that. And then the drama, you know, they're like, well, you're going to have to fight with your wife and you're going to have to have arguments with your dad. And there's going to be drama. <laughs> you're like, man, I don't want to get a divorce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No shit. Like I don't, I don't need that type of drama in my life. So we decided not to. So, you know, there's some exciting things, and I guess I'll end on this point. You know, I am, you know, we are, we do have some great things, some exciting things coming in 2020. And one of those things is I, I am hoping to get that side of the, the business, so to speak, going. So for you guys that are listening and that are interested and have heard about some of the, the things that I've done, um, you know, it's coming. And I, and I purposely, you know, I'm sorry to be like, kind of like, you know, vague about it, but I have to be like that video. I don't even know if I've shown you, but I, the last car that I did, that car that was in that video, um, where I was showing off like the two button switch and the relay box and some of the other, you know, I had some of those things in that car. So I decided, you know what, let me go ahead and put some of this out here because we were in the discussions about moving forward with mass producing some of that stuff. Well, that car, like I have a video of that car in action. That car was off the chain, man. It was voice activated you could talk to it i had named it sophie after one of our big black pigs that we have she's all black and she's just a beast man and so i named the car sophie and you could talk to it and you say hey sophie um get level and, and she would say getting ropes and the, and the car would drop down and you say sophie let me in because that car had shaved door handles and door poppers yep so you say sophie let me in and the door would pop open and she'd say welcome enjoy your ride and i i have a video of that and it's, and I've had it for a while now, but I don't put it out there because it's like I know that I'm going to get inundated with a bunch of calls and interest. And right, that, right. How, 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 can you make my car do that and all this? And I'm just at the point now with so much going on with the news and all that 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 it's you know I, I just can't put that out right now. And like, even the one like you mentioned the burnout video, I had that video for years before I ever posted it because. I just wasn't in a position to deal with, you know, the the phone calls and stuff that are going to come from that. And so sometimes it's strategic like that, but I've got some good stuff in the works. Like I said, I've got hundreds of videos of the self-help videos that are ready to go. And I've got some really cool stuff. Some of the more entertaining stuff that guys want to see, like that car talking back to you and doing all the crazy stuff. And, you know, some of the relay boxes and panels and the auto drop things like that. Um, a lot of cool stuff in the works that should be coming out down the pipeline in 2020, man. So you guys just, you know, stay tuned. Kick ass, man. Well, thanks for all the details, man. Let's say someone does want to get in contact with you, which I know is kind of uh, a funny way to end because obviously you don't have a lot of time, but maybe someone comes across this podcast and they want to do a high-end build. I know on your voicemail, you kind of push people over to the email. Is that the easiest way? And can you give out your email address? Yeah, definitely the easiest way is the email, which is drivingdreamsrestorations at gmail.com. So it's just the business name, uh, driving dreams with an S and restorations with an S at gmail.com. That's the simplest way. You can call me, but 90% of the time I'm not going to answer right away. But, you know, if you want to call, leave a quick voice. No, this is what I'm interested in. 
Um, usually I'll call you back later that day or the next day, but that's pretty much it, you know, and I do, like, I don't want to sound like, oh, don't bug me type thing, because I do answer the phone all the time, and I do help a lot of people over the phone, and I'm perfectly willing and happy to do that. Um, it's just, you know, if I'm right in the middle of something, I might not answer, but if you, even if you need some help with your top or something and you're stuck, you know, don't hesitate to give me a call. Even if I don't answer right away, I'll either call you back later on that day, or sometimes, you know, like I said, you can text me. Sometimes I can answer stuff in text, and, you know, it's, it's not a big deal to me at all, because sometimes I can, I can walk you through fixing your top in five minutes, where, you, you know, some people are like, dude, it's been six months, I haven't even been able to drive my car because the top is stuck. And now you, I just called you and you fixed it in two minutes over the phone. So I'm definitely happy to do that, you know, whenever I can. So don't hesitate to call, you know, if you need some help and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I hope that I can help some people the best that I can, man. Killer, man. Well, we appreciate what you do. And I would highly encourage anyone to go out there. We've given it out. Driving Dreams Restorations. Check out the YouTube channel. There's a lot of cool stuff. Obviously, he's hinted more to come. But... Nathan, it's been a pleasure having you on Lincoln Attic Podcast. Was there anything else you wanted to share? I know you covered a lot of ground, dude, and thank you so much for your time. <laughs> dude, yeah, I'm sorry, man. Every time it's like when good. people get me going about these cars, I'm always like, dude, I'm sorry. <laughs> we just talked to you. Like, next thing you know, you're on the phone for two hours. But it's just, you know, it's a passion, man. I love these cars. I'm so passionate about them. And like I said, I, I eat, sleep, and breathe these things. Like, I dream every night, man, I'm dreaming about these cars and the work that I'm doing and what's next and stuff like that. So, um, you know, you, you, if you start talking to me about politics or Donald Trump or any of that stuff, I got nothing to say, man. But you start, you start talking right, about these right. things, man, forever. So, um, yeah, man, just I appreciate everybody, all the love out there. I get a lot of great comments on the YouTube videos and stuff, and I get a lot of people call. You know, I, I, a couple of those videos, I mentioned the animal sanctuary, which I guess I should do right now for sure. It's uh, Camp Figwig Farm and Sanctuary. So, um there's a link on like on some of my videos, a couple of my videos, I actually figured out how to put a link there to uh, donate. So, you know, people call me all the time. like, dude, I just wanted to call you and say, thanks for the videos. You know, you helped me figure out this or that or whatever. And I want to donate to you. Help your wife out and stuff like that. So that's always, you know, really appreciated. But, you know, this Lincoln community is, is amazing, man. It's, um, there, there's good and bad to it being so tight knit and everything, but, I've met some amazing people, man. And the, like the stories I could tell could go on forever, man, about the things that have come about in my life just from these cars, you know? And I look back, like, I think you and I are, you and Tony, me and Tony one time were joking about, you know, you look back at some of these old pictures of like Chris Dunn and John Cashman and, and John Brewer out there and then and Tim Neal, God rest his soul, you know, like some of yep. these guys that I was fortunate to meet a lot of them, you know, and you look back at some of those pictures, man, and they're all like hanging out and you see them like down in the Keys hanging out on vacation and you see these guys together and it was like this, like their lives were so impacted and intertwined all because of these cars. And now I look at myself and you and Tony and somebody and, you know, some of these other guys that are mm-hmm. real passionate about cars and it's all, you know, we're kind of all becoming that group. It's pretty interesting to see that kind of transition. Nothing against them, but, you know, like yes. I feel like we were the new school, they were the old school and now we're kind of taking their places and it's, it's a really incredible thing, man, you know, and it's even growing with the, you know, with the social media and stuff now and, and your podcast, I really appreciate what you're doing here and, with all of these different avenues all kind of coming together and this, you know, this little Lincoln world is just, uh, you know, it's expanding and it's, it's a really incredible thing. When I look back at my life, you know, I never would have thought that, 
my life would be so intertwined and so like uh, it's so centered around this one car, man. These Lincoln Continentals with suicide door convertibles, you know, they 61 to 67. It's such a small and like we were saying, there's so few of them, and that it has literally become my life and the people involved. I met some amazing people, you and Tony and all you guys, man, and it's just been it's been incredible, man. And like I said, the stories that I could tell if we had the time, man, oh, some yeah. crazy things that never would have happened without these cars, you know? So yeah, I just really, sure. you know, I guess I would end with that to say, I really appreciate everybody. I appreciate all the love and all the great comments that I get and people reaching out and thanking and stuff like that. And, you know, let me know that the videos are appreciated and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm only going to get better as far as the editing and the getting them out. So, you know, we'll just keep on plugging at it, man, and helping each other. Like I said in the beginning, man, everybody help each other out. And we'll all grow and we'll all have some badass rides and, you know, enjoy them. Yeah, real deal. And I appreciate you bringing that up. I We love giving homage to the originals and kind of the Rat Pack, as, as John has mentioned before, with some of those guys that were running around here in Clearwater. And it was great because I don't think without the Lincoln Lands and some of those businesses – that these cars, you know, they probably would have hit the junkyards more and more and more versus being parted out. And, and, uh, you know, obviously junkyards are part places, but I think you get what I'm saying, like with the crushing and stuff, which I talked about one of those oh, earlier, yeah. but, uh, yeah, Nathan, it's always a pleasure to sit down with you, man. I, I just, I look forward to seeing what you always have coming up next. And hopefully, um, you know, once you get the new shop set up, we'll come by, we'll slap hands and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll continue on this, this journey of, uh, these awesome Lincolns, brother. All right, man. I appreciate everything. I'll talk to you later. Lincoln Out Lake Podcast. We're out of here. Have a great weekend, everyone.
I had a backseat that's big enough for me. 